Okay, hi everyone, thanks for coming. Um, this is of course Rex's live presentation on uh, gravity, consciousness and the um, uh, and the unified field. So uh, if anybody's interested in this sort of thing, I think it's going to be a great presentation. This is going to act as part three of my chat with Rex for the uh, Seeking Our Life Exploration podcast. And I believe it's going to be around two hours. Is that right, Rex? He, he can't hear you, but... Uh, okay, yep, so Rex... Rex is saying, yeah, about two hour, about two hours or so, but it depends how it goes. Um, he likes to do it very organically, so as it comes, as it goes. Right, so uh, just make sure you're ready to go, Rex. Okay, uh, let me now pass you over to Rex. Wonderful. Thank you, Darren, and um, really appreciate an opportunity to present today. And um, I'm also appreciating that we have a small group. I think it gives us an opportunity to perhaps have a little bit more of an intimate discussion about this. Because um, the reason I present on this, uh, these ideas is, is I'm not trying to tell you what it is or how it is. Um, this, this is my reality. This is, this is what it is, what, how it is being revealed to me, if you will. But I present more is like food for thought, just something to think about. And also too, I, I love these conversations. So I put these ideas out there because I'm learning too, because oftentimes I dialogue with people and I present ideas and next thing you know, they're asking me questions or they're coming up with observations of their own from their perspective. And all of a sudden I'm thinking about it in a way that I haven't thought about before. So I'm not trying to do this for myself. I'm, I, I want to get everybody involved. Um, so if you're here, you must think this kind of stuff is a lot of fun. So hopefully you'll enjoy this and, and, and get something that, you know, uh, stimulate some thoughts, some ideas, you know, within yourself. So the presentation is a true nature of gravity. Um, ironically enough, uh, I won't dive into the near-death experience right now, but I had a near-death experience, which is the reason why um, so much of I've never thought like this before. I'm not a scientist. I've never, never been this. I mean, I got a couple of years of college, but it was for finance, not, not anything scientific. Um, and, and just somehow a lot of things that just seem to be just making sense to me that didn't before. Um, and even my near-death experience itself, which I'll touch upon as we get it deeper into the presentation, is, is basically a reflection of how I perceive the unified field. So we're going to venture into the very smallest of the small, the most fundamental realms of our reality. We're going to venture into the most, what we could might think of and the, the most outermost realms of our reality, that of a multi-universal existence, and talk about gravity's relationship to all of this. This is basically a thought journey. You know, you've heard scientists talk about thought experiments. You know, this, these are concepts and ideas that can't be proven nor disproven at this point in time. Um, even through theoretical physics, because they call it theoretical physics for a reason, because it's all still very theoretical. But today it's a thought journey. Let's just open up our minds, let the imaginations flow. Let's let's just, just let's just explore what's possible. My my feeling about gravity, ironically enough, again, I, I fell out of a tree. I fell 26 feet. So it's interesting. I had this relationship with gravity as a result of a fall from a tree. And it's an interesting little bit of an irony that I am definitely not Newton, and I'm not putting myself in a Newton's intellectual uh, category by any means. But at the same time, it's just funny to me that, you know, Newton had an apple fall out of a, uh, fall out of a tree on his head, presumably epiphany about gravity. And in a way, that sort of is what I fell out of a tree, hit my head really hard, and got these crazy epiphanies about gravity down. But the reason I chose this particular image to start the presentation 
and understanding, obviously, if, if there's a way to actually observe a multi-universal existence from our human perspective, uh, you know, all I can really do is like anthropomorphize this so we can actually have a conversation about it because clearly it's not going to be lit up like this. There is not likely going to be electromagnetism as we know it in these realms of existence. And if there, are, if there is electromagnetism, who's to say that the spectrums are perceived with any of our five senses? But still, if we're going to talk about this, we have to have an anthropomorphism of some kind that we can work with, a basis of something we can utilize to have these conversations and, and, and do these explorations. I like this image, and I'm going to use different images throughout because it's the obvious abstraction of it. And, and you can take a moment to almost just lose yourself in this image and pick any moment of it, especially if you put it up onto a big screen and, and get a sense of all the different potential energetic dynamics that are taking place here. Grant you, this is just a still, but imagine everything's moving. Everything's in motion. Some of these little, little sort of orangish red spots, some of them might be expanding and growing, others might be contracting and closing in, and, and others still growing out to a point where now that they're basically intermixing with other, other energetic patterns that are taking place. So I kind of like this as just a way to start off the probably kind of get the mind, get our, get our thought process to sort of opening up to just, well, abstract possibilities, because a lot of what we're going to talk about, you can't really think of it in terms of our three-dimensional reality. <clears throat> so understand something, though. I'm not trying to rewrite the book, so to speak, on gravity. Much of what I'm talking about ventures into the realm of Einstein's special relativity. Yes, there's a little bit of general relativity into this, but what I feel like is happening here is I'm, I'm in a way, expanding on maybe, integrating the quantum reality, the unified realities, multi-universal realities into special relativity, basically. Um, so that's we get into the idea of, as you see, unified field, quantum gravity. We're gonna, I'm going to discuss why it's not just space-time, it is space-time gravity. We're going to get into the birth and the life process of a universe, getting into that cosmic inflation and what is, I think, one possible birth of a supermassive black hole and one possibility for the birth of what I feel like are these original primordial suns. We're going to talk about why I feel like gravity is dark energy. And no, we're not talking reverse gravity or anti-gravity. But again, when you start thinking in the context of a multiverse, gravity looks an awful lot different. And then we talk about how, I, as I wrap this whole thing up, it begins where it ends and it ends where it begins. I think many of us have heard that philosophical statement. I'm going to explain that as well. One of my heroes of, of quantum theory, of course, he is the, 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 the father, or I guess maybe the, the, the grandfather of quantum theory is Max Planck. Um, again, this is, he, he, he expressed these ideas, I mean, at the, you know, through the late 19th century into the early 20th century. I think he died in like 1947 or something like that. But he was born in the late 1800s. And he had his first, I think, like presentation um, discussing, I think, is the absorption of light in, into a, a, a black body, something like a black hole. But anyway, I don't want to get into that now, but my point is that was in the year like 1900. So Max Planck was having these brilliant, incredibly insightful thoughts on these incredibly abstract realms of reality, you know, I mean, I mean decades, just decades before anybody could even, just even, would even, I think, even imagine such things. So, Sorry I'm going off a little bit, but I just admire this man. I really do. I don't typically read my slides, but I'm going to read this one. I'm, I, do, I like to put text on slides, but I don't usually read them word for word. But this is what I'm going to read. As a man 
who has devoted his whole life to the most clear-headed science, to the study of matter. I can tell you, as a result of my research about atoms this much, there is no matter as such. All matter originates and exists only by virtue of a force which brings the particle of an atom to vibration and holds this most minute solar system of the atom together. We must assume behind this force the existence of a conscious and intelligent mind. This mind is a matrix of all matter. And I think the movie The Matrix, I think, somewhat spins off of this a little bit, only that's more of a computer-related matrix. So this one, it's, a, it's, a, it's more the matrix, if you will, the mind and the imagination, well, of God, the source, consciousness, however you want to put that. Because, yes, there's a lot of science to what I'm talking about. But, again, I'm not a scientist. I'm a near-death experiencer. So there's going to be spirituality behind this as well. I am going to talk about consciousness and all of this. The tradi a traditional perspective of an atom looks like this picture here. It's the, the, the nucleus in the middle, and you've got the, the electrons that are basically rotating around it, not unlike that of a solar system. <clears throat> now, this is a, would be presumably um, a picture of an oxygen atom. It's, it's got the, the, the proton-neutron nucleus, and it's got eight electrons. I believe that, that would make that an oxygen atom. Um, this is the one spot that I'm going to disagree with my quantum hero, <laughs> Max Planck. But again, I, I take into consideration he was talking about this stuff over 100 years ago uh, and, and when nobody was talking about it. So the idea that the, that the atom is, is like a solar system, I don't think is entirely accurate. Um, a few years back, as I'm really exploring a lot of, of these ideas uh, that, I, that I was learning, I said I had this near-death experience in 2011, and all of a sudden, I realized my mind was working in ways that has never worked before. Now, on the one hand, I get like migraines. I have crazy memory issues. And don't even be surprised if I forget what I'm saying in, in mid-sentence here. And I'll count on Darren to remind me what I'm saying so I get my thoughts because I do that. But on the other hand, um, things just started to make a lot of sense to me. They've never just made sense before. And, and, and I went ahead and started doing a lot of research, a lot of studying, because I wanted to try to find ways to explain what I was seeing and envisioning. So I sought a lot of spiritual avenues, and I spot, sought a lot of scientific avenues, primarily that of quantum theory and cosmology. Something I learned about, um, looking I don't know if you've ever heard of the Khan Academy, uh, a really brilliant gentleman by the name of Sal Salman Khan, started this nonprofit like online college, college in a way. You can like study on video just about anything you want to study. I mean, history, biology, quantum theory, it's just about, just about everything is there that you want to study. And it's all in videos. It's done really well. So most of us lay folk can watch this stuff and, and learn from it. And you can, of course, watch it as much as you want. Now, thing he, he said some things in there that resonated with me. Because I've always thought about gravity interacting on, on every level. Most people think about gravity interacting strictly on the, the, the more three-dimensional, the, the, the physical levels of reality. You know, gravity is believed to be one of the fundamental forces of the universe. Um, the, four, the four fundamental forces being the strong and the weak nuclear forces, electromagnetism, and presumably gravity. Gravity doesn't quite work there, and I'll explain that here in just a little bit. But it does work from the quantum levels all the way out to multi-universal existence. Now, I'm going to take a moment because it says quantum sparkles. You're reading it right. Quantum sparkles. <laughs> get that out of your system. Every time I use that term, I usually get some good laughter out of it. 
but I'm going to explain this. Now, before I was starting to discover the, the Khan Academy and Salman Khan that I was just describing to you in the last slide, I remember thinking to myself, I, I, I was delving into quantum theory and learning more about atomic structures and learning about how, you know, electrons and quarks and bosons and I, learning about what they were and, you know, the, what the current science says, how they all work. And I know, and I'm a very visionary person, so I'm going in my mind and, and, and envisioning all of this, and I keep seeing sparkles. I keep seeing these, keep seeing these like, when I'm going into these quantum realms, I just, I, I see just, just, just these patternistic sparkles. Now, something that, 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 was, that Salman Khan said that really resonated as I was trying to think about and perceive the atom itself. Is, now, if you know what a valence shell actually is, you know, an electron valence shell is basically like a, a, a probability of where a, a, an electron is going to pop. So if you have studied quantum theory, and I don't want to dive into this too deep because I definitely don't have time to dive in because this is definitely a, a presentation by itself. But quantum theory suggests that electrons pop in and out of existence. And they don't necessarily move in, in uh, linear or circular fashions. They may move in some sort of patternistic fashions, but they don't move the way we think of movement. They move in terms of the pops in and out of what we perceive to be our reality. So what a valence shell basically represents is the highest probability factor of where those pops are going to happen. Now, yes, a valence shell can wrap itself around a nucleus and look like something that represents, say, a solar system. It almost looks like something that represents you know, that of an electron actually revolving around the proton, but it really isn't. I mean, in a way that it is, in, in a way it's patternistically moving, it may give that sense of moving like so, but it's actually popping in and out. So this, what's happening is you've got a probability factor of happening saying, okay, in this valence shell, this is where the, you've got the best chance of this electron popping. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. There is a probability factor, just because, again, the shell is not a hard shell. It's not to say that the, the, valent, that the electron can't pop outside that shell, okay? Now, we're just saying, this is, again, this is just where it's most likely to pop. However, what it's saying then is there is a possibility that, that that electron can pop outside of that shell. Now, of course, the probability goes down exponentially. So theoretically, you can have that atom right here on Earth and, and, and have an electron pop on the other side of the universe from a single atom. Now, that probability factor may be incredibly, incredibly low, but it is not zero. So what does that tell you about the expanse of a singular atom? The atom unto itself is a representation of an entire universe. There's always these questions of, is the universe holographic? I think arguments could be made that the universe is holographic. It's just, what does that really mean, however? When I start thinking in terms of these quantum sparkles and these quantum pops, as I'm talking about, and, and, and the very patternistic nature of these pops, I started to realize to myself, you know, I don't think it's a matter that we have trillions upon trillions of these fundamental particles. I'm thinking we have single particles that have extremely complex like refractory abilities only and i'm again i'm using this in an anthropomorphized sense in a context of electromagnetism which is just one example but it's not the only example when he talks to when, when it comes to the different kinds of of energies of course but it's a great one to work with 
because we can start to envision a little bit, um, you know, you look at this like a, like a prism right here, but think of, you know, a, a single particle in and unto itself being this <clears throat> infinitely interdimensional, just uh, multifaceted, I mean, almost like a, I don't know, like a infinitely dimensional diamond in a manner of speaking, super, super clean diamond with no, you know, no, no impurities whatsoever. And think about that in even the way, say, like a projector TV can work. And so you start to think about, wow, this, you start all this sort of particle reality, you start thinking of it in terms of all these different complex reflections. Now they're all intermingling with each other, like these sort of interference patterns of sorts. However, really fascinating about this is that this isn't just some arbitrary, like, say, I don't know, like, 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 like looking at our, the screen of our television or something like that. This is, they're talking about the, the mind of the divine here. I believe it was Jonathan Hagelin, who's a physicist, who said, we live in a thought universe. This is a universe that's a thought, the imagination of the mind of the divine. So think about your own thoughts. I think there's even a bit of a holographic nature when we think about envisioning and imagining and dreaming within our own minds, fantasizing within our own minds. I think in a, in a, in a very rudimentary way, that's basically what's going on with this divine mind. We're effectively part of the imagination, the experience, the, the, the play and display of, of this mind at work in, 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 in the creation of this universe. And we've got gravity basically at the hub and the crux of all of this, which is perhaps the most fundamental element of the, exper ex of the experiential aspect of this universal embodiment, is this multi-universal embodiment. Okay, I've said a lot of stuff already. Um, should we take a moment to take a couple questions here maybe? Darren, anybody? Uh, anybody? Just, uh, just if not, no problem. We've got lots to yeah, cover sorry. still. I'll just start eating something. Um, yeah, we do have um, one question from Patricia. Um, she just wants if uh, wants to know if you can um, expand slightly on what your actual uh, NDE was like, what your near-death experience was. Okay. Um, yes, I'll do that. I, that's fine. I, I just just. I didn't want to take too much time, you know, away from, from what we're getting into here. But um, all right, let, let, me, let, me, let me just go ahead and do this for, for anybody that doesn't know my story, because I know the, the few people that might be here, I think we probably already know each other. But so I took a 26-foot fall out of a tree. I'm not going to tell that whole story. Uh, branches broke. Um, I went down and I landed headfirst on a concrete bike path. Um, I, was in, I was in a coma for five days with massive bleeding on the brain. I broke 20 bones, hospital, in the hospital for over a month. I had close to two years of surgeries. Um, really, I had to relearn how to walk the whole bit. I broke my pelvis in four places, eight ribs, my back, my five, five discs. I mean, I'm blessed to be alive. I'm blessed to be, even have the, the, the level of, of, of quality of life that I even have. And make no mistake, I have my daily challenges. My body hurts, and I have a lot of headaches. It's, yeah. But at the same time, I woke up. But what happened... While near death, I don't even know if I should say the term happened because like a, a process, what I experienced in that moment was like the purest essence of, of myself, but not just myself, but, but just self, the concept of I am. I think the concept of what you know, Darren's, the name of Darren's podcast, Seeking I, kind of represents, but in the purest sense of the term I or I am. 
um, in a manner of speaking, I was still Rex. I was still me, but I wasn't. I mean, I had a sense of myself, but I wasn't in my body. I was the all of everything all at once for a moment. I was connected to everything, everything from my dead relatives, my mother, to, to the ascended masters, as people call them, to angels, to devils and demons, to just everything, from the lightest light to the darkest dark, everything, all at once, that's what I was. But yet, I was, I was, was that being, but from the purest essence, which... Yes, and it sounds cliche, but it's love. Even through the light, even through all the dark, the essence of it all is love. My experience with this was, was the feeling of the purest, most fulfilled, just, just most complete, unconditional sense of love and being, I, I, I could even begin to even, I can't even explain it. The words I'm even saying don't even do justice to it. But also, I wasn't just love. I wasn't experiencing it. I was love. I wasn't just alive in this moment. I was life in this moment. I was life itself. But also, as we're touching upon today, I was the mind, the imagination of the divine being that gives rise to all of creation and all of the experience itself. So in, in, in what I mean by that, and I'm going to dive, again, we're, gonna, we're definitely touching upon, this is what this basically is about. So if for a moment, I was like, say, the unified field. So when I explain the unified field now, I basically explain this particular aspect of my near-death experience. Because in this moment, I was all space, the expanse of whatever the universe may really be, all time, past, present, and future, all at once. I, wa I was all possibility and meaning whatever uh, multiple realities may exist. In other words, whatever different versions of ourselves may be out there having different forms of forms of to forms of realities and forms of universes so completely abstract we can barely even imagine it, let alone even exist in it. And in the space of just, just an infinity of dimensional possibilities. That's where I was for a moment. And as that light has been on ever since, and all I'm doing now is that human part of myself is trying to process and understand all this information. It just seems to have just opened up to me. I don't want to say it's even a download. It's like the lights just went on and all of a sudden I'm just seeing all this stuff now. And now it just becomes a matter of me being able to find a way to explain it and share it so we can have this kind of an experience right here. So like I said, when I started this, we can interact about it and talk about it and we can all grow together with it because um, I know I can't do this by myself. And if there's one thing I learned from this near-death experience, and this is coming from a person who's been a loner his whole life. I have no problem being by myself. I have no problem isolating and just walking away from everything at all. I, I've always been wired that way. But I came back from this near-death experience with the with, with the the information and the what's the word I'm looking for? I guess the epiphany of 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 simply expanding into the experience, expanding into consciousness, reaching out and connecting, because that's the way home. That is the path home. We're not going home by ourselves. We're going home together. So this has become a quest for me to grow outside of myself and do things that are very very unnatural to my nature, at least has been my whole life. Although the more I do this, the more I find that it is actually completely natural. In fact, if anything, this is getting into another level of my own personal depths to where this is what is natural because connecting like this, loving, sharing is the most natural thing any of us can do as souls. And so if we have a hope in this world that we're going to shift this and turn this corner and turn this into the kind of world I know most of us dream about in terms of just of that loving, unconditional acceptance for everybody to live freely and peacefully being what they are, um, I, I think this is, you know, this is a, one of the things that's going to help, help fuel this and help, help you, know, you know, I guess, 
to help perpetuate that energy and, and shift that paradigm and, and create something that, you know, we've been waiting to create and wanting to create for, gosh, 5,000 years of human civilization now. I mean, we've been repeating patterns for, for from multiple, multiple millennia. The only thing that's changed is we've got more technology upon which to destroy and hurt each other. So, but they also have more technology upon which to also heal and learn and grow and expand thought, mind, and consciousness and come together. So that's where I'm at. So, okay, I think I'll leave it at that right now before I go off with some big old diatrop about this because um, if anyone that knows me has heard me speak before knows I can, I can do this all day. <laughs> okay, thanks, Rex. Um, I think uh, Patricia just added on to that at the end. So um, from what you say, it seems that love is all there is. Um, who we are and that we're all it's, you know, the thing is it's all simple we complicate this whole experience so much it really is that our job if we have a job here it's just to love each other simple as that and love is unconditional acceptance you don't have to like the person to love them you know you can dislike the person don't agree with them don't like the way they do things but what i mean by this is that you still love them and what what it suggests is by loving them first of all you're not going to hurt them just because you don't like them second of all and more importantly even if you don't like them if you have a chance to help them you're still going to help them because that's a loving thing to do sure so my point is is that we can we the road to peace may be rocky but even after we've passed a point where we're where we can stop killing each other differences and hurting each other over our differences i imagine the dialogues and the conversations may be difficult we're not always going to agree with each other but the thing is that we don't lose sight of that love the one thing we all have in common everybody has in common is everybody loves in some way i don't care where you come from i don't care if you're an or proclaimed to be an atheist chances are you love someone there's something in this life that resonates for you that 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 makes you feel connected and, and even even at that you know giving you a, that outlet to having some form of deeper thought so love is it is it's that simple it, it is that simple we don't judge it's not our place to judge we just love we support if we can help somewhere we help you know but it also don't lose sight of loving does not mean stop loving yourself i'm not crazy about this idea of self-sacrifice and service at the expense of oneself we're in this together which means if you're going to help and, and, and serve for others help and serve for yourself too because you count just as much as everybody else, and you, me, we all need that love just as much as anyone else, okay? We're wired that way. This life, this experience is, is geared that way, and, and that's the path we need to walk. So what I'm saying is if we're all going to go home, we're not going home by ourselves. We're going home together. We're in this together. You know, We're one people, one race, one world, one planet, ultimately one universe. <laughs> Brilliant. And uh, Ronald asks, he has a couple of questions. Um, I'll start with, did you come back completely, or are you still there in a sense? <laughs> I'm always there. Oh my gosh. If anything, yeah, and that's a really good question actually. Um no, I'm if anything, I'm I have a harder time being here than I do being there. And that's partly because I don't have a lot grounding me here. Um I don't really have family, I don't have kids. Um I don't have a partner in life at this time. Not to say things won't change at some time, but uh, and I'm not like trying to be like, wham, wham, wham. It's not like that. But at the same time, that does ground a person. That does really bring you into certain moments. Um, and I'm not, this isn't a negative thing because where I'm traveling, I'm traveling to these places that, I mean, as a human being, it's basically teaching me that that as a, that I am not just this body. You, we hear it all the time. I'm not just this body. I, I'm, I am all of my experience. You know, the Mayans have an expression, in the catch, out the keen. I am you and you are me. And 
start to understand what that really means, you'll understand that you are your entire experience. You are a reflection of every relationship that you have, of every experience that you have, even when you don't understand it. Because I've got things in my life that don't make entire sense to me too, other than I just stick with the notion, okay, there's a reason that this is being attracted into my life. There's, 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 there's something vibrationally that I need to understand about this so that I can move this forward and shift it into a place that I feel like is in that, that deeply loving, positive space where it is evolving and growing. So... Anyway, I'm, I'm kind of going off a little bit. I forgot what I was actually, the point was a point in there somewhere and I forgot the point no worries, that I, think, I was trying I think, to make. I think you answered the question pretty well. Um, he, he also asked, Ron, Ronald also asks, uh, I think he's referring to the first slide in your presentation. Could you um, run back and have a look at the first slide? He, he's sure. asking about an image and I'm trying to think of which one it is. This one? Yeah, this, this looks like what he's describing. He's saying, um, from his point of view, this image kind of depicts very close similarities to an ayahuasca trip or ayahuasca visions and he just was wondering what your thoughts are on that well i would suggest that you're that an ayahuasca having done i've never done ayahuasca but i've had similar experiences on the psilocybin mushrooms um i would suggest you're traveling i is opening you're 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 leaving you're leaving the locality of this reality and you're you're we're merging into the non-local universal existence and you're exploring it from the perspective of the person you are you know in that moment of your journey of, of being in the ayahuasca i think that ayahuasca um, there's a lot of ways listen this, you know the near-death experience is just one way to open up those doors i think things like a psilocybin mushrooms ayahuasca when you're used correctly and, and used you know especially with say healers and shaman and, and and people that know what they're doing they can really open up the doors to, to these outer dimensions, open up to the doors to these abstractions of reality, and also open up the doors that really start to show you who and what you really are. You're touching these realities of you. It's part of who and what you are. Um, and that's what I mean by we're bigger than just these bodies. When you can touch that reality, especially even if it's through an ayahuasca journey, um, you're exploring parts of your deeper, truest being. Um, and, and this is, to me, yes, if you have visions along these lines, my thinking is you were probably venturing in into the multiverse. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Thanks, Rex. I think that's all the questions we've got at the moment. So feel free now to carry on with your with your next slides and let us know when you're ready to take some more questions. Well, I'll tell you what, as they pop in, I don't want to get too far behind. So if you see some questions come in, uh, if it's just one or two, maybe we can wait a couple. But if you get, you know, five, six questions come in, you feel free to stop me. I don't I don't mind. I mean, um, I, I actually would almost rather deal with some of these real time if possible. We've got a, since we've got the smaller group today, it makes it a lot easier to you know deal with these a little bit more real time. So I don't mind if somebody's got a question. We don't need to you know, backslide a number of slides. So if somebody's got a question, um, because it's a smaller group, Feel free to chime in if you want to. I, I don't mind that. I really sure. don't. No worries. We're, we've currently got 10 people watching, which is which is very nice. Oh, so. wow. No kidding. <laughs> so <laughs> we well, welcome, at, everybody. I had no. I thought we like, had three or four yeah, of us, but we were up that's at 14 fantastic. a couple of minutes ago, so I don't know where they've been. But, um, oh, goodness. Yep. Yeah, go, go for it. I'll, uh, yeah, for the moment, if uh, any questions come in one or two, I'll, I'll interrupt you, as it were. As yeah, no, that's fine. No, that's perfectly good. fine. No worries. Um, okay, let's uh, uh, dive back into this. Um, so let's talk about this, uh, the, 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 the life, right? and this is, as I say, the death and the birth of a universe. Um, what I'm representing here, of course, at this level, according to current health theories, electromagnetism, electromagnetism has not asserted itself yet. So this is more, again, an amplifies depiction of what that initial primordial particle may have appeared as being, because it was just pure energy. You heard the way I described an electron just moments ago. I feel like the primordial particle is is in terms of, I guess, for lack of a better word, volume, 
more than that of an electron. But again, if you're talking about something that pops and moves the way the quantum realms do, who's to say the expanse of what that really means? Because you think about this, in that little moment, in, in, in this primordial particle that may have no more of the, the, the volume of, a, uh, of that of a fundamental particle, is the information of an entire universal life cycle. Your life, my life, the Earth is all in this. Okay, getting started with this thing. <clears throat> and we're going to come full circle with this. I'm going to explain all of this as we come all the way through this whole this, 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 uh, universal process. But, we, but again, I'm going to make this reference throughout. It begins where it ends. It ends where it begins. Think about this, this potential deep freeze. If we can, again, in this multiverse, space-time gravity definitely exists, but it doesn't exist the same way we think of it in terms of the arrow of time, the way we experience it in our lives. So, I'm, again, I'm going to be utilizing it from that perspective as much as I can. <clears throat> so, in the beginning, <laughs> sorry, couldn't resist. Um, <clears throat> Think about that, that primordial particle. Now, it's been suggested that potentially the death of a universe may, may leave no energy remnants, nothing left over. Potentially, even, even, even the remnants of a black hole, the, 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 even, even the, the core, the, the, the singularity of a black hole, too, potentially would evaporate in this deep freeze as energy supposedly just runs out. <clears throat> but yet, the first law of thermodynamics suggests uh, I just have a little snippet of it here, but basically it suggests that the amount of energy is always the same. Energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It is simply always changing states. The universe is no different. The multiverse is no different. The unified field is Okay, get back to the birth of the universe here. What might be going on? For, for, such a, for such a particle to even exist in the first place. So if we're thinking about movements, <clears throat> energetic movements, kind of movements that exist beyond what we perceive to be a, our universe, and we're thinking about right here, this is just the singularity, the beginning, the, the, the seedling, if you will, of this universal possibility, it would, it would stand to reason there are many, many such seedlings. Now think about the burning out of, say, a universe like ours. Thinking about the amount of energy that must go into even the smallest of black holes, let alone what are considered to be these supermassive black holes that um, exist at the center of, of galaxies, generally speaking. So I would contend because of the just the pure intense energy of all of this, first of all, if there is an absolute zero, and I'm going to touch upon this, it's only a temporary state, um, but more to the point, in this mass, gravity exists. Again, gravity is, and, and I'm going to just throw it out real quick because I'm going to touch upon this later. Gravity is not part of the theory of everything. Gravity existed before the existence of the universe and existed after, okay? So gravity is already working right now, meaning that these little singularities are, are in motion. And gravity doing what it does brings these singularities together. And, and much like when black holes consume black holes, Suns collide with suns, if you will, or, or say more, or two neutron stars colliding with neutron stars, maybe a better example. Got a question, Rex, um, from Patricia, uh, just if you don't mind. Uh, your, sure. your opinion on parallel universes, do they exist? 
Yes, and I'll get into that. Let's let's be patient. Um, I, I'm yeah, going to get into that. Yes, they patient. do. They, they most definitely do. Uh, but let me let me just go through this universal life cycle. I'm going to the last part of this this presentation is where I'm going to delve into the multiverse. And so I did that part of it. I will we will get into that and 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 just cover it in, in some detail. Um, so all I can say is just be patient for now. Um, so basically, uh, in, where in was a nice I at? Way. Be patient in a nice way. <laughs> well, of course, yes, yes, always. Um, anyways, um, where was I at? Um, yes, okay. So it's basically, eventually, you've got so many of these. You've got immense, immense gravity that that's just doing this. This feeling, a sense of just like pulling down and just crushing down on everything. Especially, you've got something that's got the mass of the information of an entire universe. So that that's basically the, the kind of interactions taking place right here. Ultimately, you've got so many of these seedlings, I think, start to merge and crash together. Eventually, something huge has to happen. Eventually, the reason a primordial particle reaches that point of excitation is because so much of this starts to crash and smash that that even though the, the, the volume, if anything, ironically, the volume is probably, if anything, shrinking while the mass is increasing. And ultimately, the, the potential reality it, it starts to merge itself as it starts to come out in terms of this initial cosmic inflation. I don't want to try to go through this too fast. Feel free to just read through this real quickly um, as we lead to what's basically the super dense, supercharged particles eventually work against the force of gravity and you get this first initial cosmic inflation. Essentially, it's, it, 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 to me, the cosmic inflation is not so much like an explosion as much as it's more of like the lights coming on all at once. Now, sometimes people talk about this inflation being like an explosion. Of course, there was nothing that we can, in terms of what we know about physics, that could have exploded at that point. There were no lights that were on at that point. Um, so I use that again as strictly as an anthropomorphism. So essentially, the universe, the early first phase of the universe was just simply you know, it was almost like it just it came out of the womb, I think is the best analogy that I can use. In, like I say in, this, in, in, in one of the statements here, it's, like, it's almost like it's a black hole in reverse. It's like on the one hand, black hole pulling in all this information and you've got something like this, this, this cosmic inflation, which basically takes the singularity and just kicks it into just like a reverse mode and just, just, just forces it all out at once. Now, initial cosmic inflation, now this is kind of where it starts to get the abstractions begin because plasma, I think, is a lot more to plasma than what people think. Now, in the initial cosmic inflation, for if you know, you know, if you've been know a little bit about the early universe is believed to be made up of purely plasma. It was made up of this very ultra dense, basically plasma soup. And as a result of that, the universe since then that has grown basically has like a plasmid plasma you know, infusion to it. Everything in the universe is plasma. Now, what's interesting about plasma is we have plasma TVs, we have plasma in our lives all over the place. You know, we have fiber optics and, and things like that that run through this kind of energy. But yet, this energy at the same time, of all the forms of energy, is perhaps more fundamental. All the forms of matter is, is, is the most fundamental. The thing I find fascinating about plasma is that it can be more solid than any solid form of matter. It could be as malleable and fluid as any liquid. It could be as subtle as any gas. It has that kind of dynamism. 
and I think too, if there's a possibility that that, that plasma for, for faster than light travel, and I don't want to divert it into this, but if there's a possibility we're going to get into the faster than light travel here on like shows like Star Trek and, and even Star Wars, and you hear things like, you know, uh, subspace and fluidic space and all these different areas of space where, um, where physics just work completely differently. And this idea of subspace that you can move into is it allows you to travel faster than light between star systems. Um, I think this is any truth that it's going to be through, through plasma. But plasma, especially in this early universe, it reminds me a lot of, uh, of like, say, the way glaciers move. Because you think about this, the density of this early universe, I mean, there's nothing in the current universe now that could be anywhere nearly so incredibly dense as this early plasma universe. Not to mention the heat was so, so completely immense. It, it, there was no form of atomic, you know, atom for, no atoms were forming. There, there was nothing that we identified within our experience was taking place yet. It was strictly this plasma reality, and that was it. But yet in this plasma reality, for all of its hardness, for all of its heat and intensity, it has this incredible rate of movement, even faster than light movement taking place in this initial core. It was anything but static. <clears throat> Talk about, a little about that plasma space. So what's going on with these intense movements, you start getting like, like a sloshing effect taking place. You know, the, because even, even in this space, even for all this density, there's still all the inherent qualities of plasma still exist. It, it seems counterintuitive, but it all still exists. So as this intense energy is flying around at faster than light speeds, there's pockets of it that are now starting to become so dense that there's a formation of the first super black hole, supermassive black hole. And of course, once that starts to take space, it's now absorbing. There's a new dynamic taking place, even in this incredibly superheated, super dense reality of a cosmic inflation. And with this, of course, you start to get into other formation. And now, this right here is another like two plus hour presentation in terms of all the things that are going on and, 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 and how this process is actually working, going from the, the, the point of the, of the initial primordial seed to the point of cosmic inflation. And now that we're getting to the point where we start to have the earliest remnants of what starts to resemble the, the universe we are now experiencing. Now think about in, in this first movements of this cosmic inflation, you've got these what are called what I call these like mega galaxies or mega stars. So literally you would have maybe the potential of a star-like embodiment in the middle of this cosmic inflation that could be the precursor of what becomes a, a galactic cluster or even a galactic supercluster. Imagine something with the volume and the mass of all of that and the density of everything crammed into the space of this cosmic inflation taking place in, the, in these first formations. So you've got the combination of these mega stars forming, the combination of these, of, of these supermassive black holes forming, and, and, and all of a sudden you've cracks of what we perceive to be space. And all this crazy energy, all these things that are happening, all of a sudden it starts to push itself out to a point where instead of gravity pushing down and the universe pushing for fighting to push out all of a sudden it reaches this sort of point of no return where it actually starts to reach a point where it's growing faster than gravity can hold it together which is where somewhere in this point it starts to shift gravity starts literally 
kind of leaking away in these early cracks of the universe. So in a manner of speaking, you've got gravity compressing down on what would appear to be a singular embodiment of this cosmic inflation initially, but as it starts to sort of break up and these formations take place, the gravity starts to redistribute itself in a matter of speaking so that it starts to help with these movements and these formations that are taking place. Because gravity really is essentially almost acting like a sculptor in a moment like this. And this is where we start getting into the first examples of dark energy. And dark energy is, is anybody who's researched this, it, nobody knows what dark energy is. It's just a word people are using because we don't have a name for it yet because even our you know, most brilliant minds and physicists, we still don't quite, we still can't quite pin this thing down. I mean, they were getting, we're getting into some really big abstract and, and, and just, you know, very esoteric areas of our reality, even scientific speaking, even scientifically speaking. But I'm feeling when you start to look at this movement of gravity on this multi-universal scale and understanding that gravity is not just inherent to the singular universe, it's start to become easier to look at why gravity is dark energy. Now, in 2016, scientists discovered gravitational waves. Now, theoretically suggested for a long time that these exist, but we hadn't, didn't quite have the technology until recently. Of course, a large Hadron Particle Collider and, and, and some other means that we have now to be able to explore this and start to be able to prove some of these long-held theories. So gravitational waves were finally confirmed. Like a lot of people, again, this is one of the things I've been fascinated with for a really, really long time. And like a lot of people, I started thinking in terms of light waves, even sound waves. And I mean, I'm going, no, this is something about this just not quite resonating for me. And then it hit me, water. No, gravity and water are not the same, but the characteristics of gravity and water are very similar. I believe gravity, gravity's movements more resemble water than light or any other form of, of wavelength that we know of. And water, I guess, isn't really a wavelength, but yet water does move in waves, obviously. Um, even in the vastness and the so-called nothingness of space, I look forward to a time when we can actually um, be able to, to, to track movements of, can track the movements of the currents in the ocean. I have a feeling in those vast depths of space where scientists already know the stark energy, perhaps you know more intense and, 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 and perhaps even more powerful than the energy that, that creates suns and, and galaxies and so on. It's in, it's in this movement of gravity on this multi-universal scale, just but quick, also on the quantum gravitational scale. Go ahead. Sorry, just a quick question, Rex, again from Patricia. Um, she says, fascinating. Just wondering how what you are sharing affects us as individual souls. I'm sorry, what was that? She says, uh, it's fascinating. Um, and she was just wondering um, how what you're talking about affects us as individual souls. Well, that is a really broad question because every individual soul will have a slightly different answer. Um, and again, uh, that's all stuff I'm going to get into in the, in, in the latter part of this when I, when I start to explore the more esoteric aspects of gravity, gravity's relationship to consciousness itself, um, gravity's relationship to the divine, um, and then, of course, getting into that gravity's relationship to all those subatomic particle um, uh, levels of our reality that I'm also talking about. Um, 
when you when you when you think of it in terms of being connected to the mind god um to me there is but one soul it is the soul of god and is that soul of god that is having an infinity of experiences through an infinity of soul paths soul journeys and incarnations like the human incarnation like we're having here um so i'm not quite sure if you, <laughs> you're quite uh as expansive of an answer or something more personalized but um, that that's that's definitely a great question and one that also could require you know having a nice couple of hour discussion on that because on the broad base looking at it from from the macro perspective versus looking at it from from the individual perspective the answer is going to look a little bit different but ultimately the gravity comes right out of the soul of God gravity is like the like you know i'm going to say this later it basically is like the hand of god sculpting this reality the mind projects its thoughts you know and not terribly unlike how we manifest in our physical reality here the mind projects it, it envisions it, it 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 has intention and and through that it manifests the reality and and as a soul it's, a, it's manifesting realities to help it to learn grow and understand even the divine even in the moment by moment reality as we're doing it's growing and learning and understanding as we do and not till the divine does what we also have the capacity to do to step back and look at this as a whole look at this from the pure non-locality superposition perspective does the divine become all-knowing and all experiential but then again that's at the core and in the heart and soul in the heart of what we are because again what i discovered as an near death experiencer when i was in that soul was that my soul her soul the soul is the soul of god um but again, I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely be touching on that a little bit more specifically as we get later into this presentation because like, what I'm basically doing is I'm expressing the idea of it, it begins where it ends and it ends where it begins on, on many different contexts. Meaning, where I began this presentation is where also I'm going to end this presentation. So as I go through this universal lifestyle, eventually I'm going to graduate this to the multiverse and I'm going to graduate this to consciousness and basically I'm going to reiterate a lot of what I just said um, and then perhaps um, elaborate Libby a little bit more on it and once we get there Patricia I imagine we might have a couple more questions and of course anybody who's got questions please chime in and if you have an observation or an idea also please chime in um, again one of the reasons I love doing this is because sometimes people will say something that I hadn't considered before and I'm like yeah there's another epiphany great thank you you know <laughs> so Great. Yep. Um, good point there as well. So we certainly, as well as questions, any ideas that you have on, on Rex's position or any criticism even, as long as it's friendly and respectful, um, would be appreciated. Uh, another question from Ronald, um, quite a long one. He says, uh, I noticed that you are using current scientific terms to explain your perspective. I can imagine our scientific understanding of what's going on is hardly better than in medieval times. Are we close to the truth? Have we hardly scratched the surface? Um, what, where are we right now in terms of scientific understanding? Uh, the thing is this. I, I think, yes, I think quantum theory and cosmology in particular um, have definitely taken big steps in that direction. But let me just be clear about something. Um, these scientific modalities are not expressing anything that hasn't been expressed on Earth through the Kabbalah, through the Bhagavad Gita, through Native American philosophies, through so many ancient, um, uh, um, you know, so many of the ancient knowledge, the ancient wisdom. This information has been here for as, for as long as we've been here. And, and, and I think it's just a matter of just there's a lot of different ways to wake up to it. And one of the reasons, I mean, and I, I use a lot of these scientific expressions, it does, it, does, it helps me, but partly too, because um, I'd like to, 
some point, I mean, I, the thing is about me, I can actually do this entire presentation using, instead of, say, the conservation of information in quantum theory, I could use the Akashic records, which is the same thing to me. The Akasha, the idea of the conservation of information, even the unified field, because it basically is saying the same basic thing. The Akasha is essentially the unified field because it is all the information of all of the experience, of all of space-time, all right there in this field. A lot of us want to perceive it as just a linear thing in terms of the Akashic records, which is everything that's in the past. But I, I, I suggest that the Akashic records are basically every single possibility and probability of our reality that are in those records. So meaning that anything you want to know, anything you need to see is right there, past, present, or future. Um, but yeah, in terms of getting back to the question, um, I think that in a lot of ways, there's a lot of scientists that are really stuck that are not practicing good science. You know, there are scientists as a near-death experiencer, there are scientists whose job, whose goal is to debunk the near-death experience. Now, if your goal is to specifically debunk something, you're not going into it objectively, first of all. Um, that is not objective science. Now, science, I think, is gonna learn a lot about the near-death experience, and there's certain things about scientists that are explaining elements of the near-death experience, but it can't explain all of it. But when it finally does, it's like quantum theory, just like with cosmology, astrophysics, all those more theoretical realms of science. Once we, as we get there and make these discoveries, we're going to realize what we think things are right now and what they are are completely different. And that's when I know the progress is really going to be made is when we have more of these scientists, because we do, we've got a few, Amit Goswami, we have Jonathan Hagelin, um, Nassim Haramein, um, and others that are some of the most brilliant minds in our world that are coming around and starting to suggest that, oh, you know, um, science right now has come a long ways, but no, it's still not there. And science even says, science also says, for all we understand, there's still so much more that we don't. And let's, let's put this also into perspective. Science tells us we right now can observe about 3% of the known universe, of the known universe, Okay. The rest of it is presumably made up of dark matter and dark energy. And right now, again, we don't know what that stuff is. We, we know it's there, but we don't know what it is. So our observation is of 3% of the overall universe. And of that 3%, what do we really know of that 3%? And this is science talking, okay? And science also says this. One of my favorite cosmologists, her name I think is Laura Danley, I believe was the one that said this. She commented that if one part in a quintillion, I believe it was the number was one with 18 zeros, really astronomical number. If one part in a quintillion is not doing its part, meaning if it's not vibrating in a resonant fashion with everything else, all of creation as we know it collapses. It becomes something completely different. So, so yeah, I mean, I think science is taking in that direction, but even science, anybody who's a true scientist who's really... I think open-minded and doing this truly objectively knows that, yeah, I mean, we're getting there, we're making progress, but it still has a really, really long ways to go. And I think at the moment, there's just a handful of scientists that are really taking the steps to looking at this and then in this truly more abstract kinds of levels and thinking these more of the outside-the-box kind of thinking. But again, that's what the, the Planck's, the Einstein's, the Hubble's, and uh, the, the Carl Sagan's have always done. And, and those are the people, the Peter Higgs, those are the people that have, have taken us the steps forward. So that's why I throw this stuff out there, no matter how crazy it might seem, even though I'm just a guy that hit his head really freaking hard <laughs> to figure this out. It, it just don't know where it's all going to come from. Science, spirituality, from some guy that hit his head really hard, who knows, you know? So we put it out there and then we do it together because again, we're more powerful together, we're stronger together, we're more brilliant together than alone, so.
Okay, perfect. Thanks, Rex. Um, let's continue on with the uh, gravitational waves. All righty then. Give me a second. I need a drink of water here. Okay, Darren, if you would prepare the next... Uh, actually, hold on. Before I do that, I want to talk real quick about uh, the idea of gravitational eddies and whirlpools. Because so, a question comes in, and I've had this question. It's like, well, you know, if dark energy, if it is gravity, is, is pulling the universe apart, then how is it that galactic embodiments, um, you know, galactic cluster embodiments, how is it the suns, I mean, solar systems, how is it that gravity still works in such a way on those levels that these formations can still take place? And that's where this concept of what you might call gravitational eddies comes in. Now, the term, I, okay, I'm a Trekkie, I'm a sci-fi fan fanatic, as I imagine probably a lot of you are probably too. If you watch Star Trek, one of the terms I would hear used from time to time is gravitational eddy. Now, typically, they're using it in the context of something the size of a starship getting stuck in this gravitational eddy. Now, because gravitational forces work right into the quantum levels, I think that's certainly a conceivable concept. I think that's certainly a possibility. However, I think these gravitational eddies can be on many levels. The idea of, say, a solar system could be an example of a gravitational eddy. A galaxy could be the example of a gravitational eddy. Um, the galactic cluster, superclusters, could all be examples of these different gravitational eddies working in, in this sort of uh, uh, <laughs> interference pattern-like fashion with each other. Makes sense. So again, the dynamics of gravity, not unlike the, the dynamics of the ocean currents, can can really be very very acute so and again you're talking about stuff on a multi-universal level but again gravity can be acute on the most fundamental levels of, of our subatomic reality okay darren if you would please choose the ocean wave video so i'm going to talk a little bit about gravity's movement in in, in relationship to water and, and the idea of what i just refer to as these like gravitational eddies and how 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 water how, I'm sorry, how gravity could be moving in while at the same time it can be moving out. Let me know when you've got that cued pretty please, Darren. Okay, great. Um, so if I may qu quote another one of my favorite people in the world, or, or he's passed, but it's Bruce Lee. Water can crash, water can flow. Be water, my friend. <laughs> sorry, I, I had to do it. I'm a martial artist. I had to do it. Um, anyways, um, now when you're watching crashing on a beach now of course you can look out over the surface of the water looking at the waves it's obvious you've got the the main waves that are moving into shore right now as you're looking at those waves you can see in the waves there's ripples in the waves so it's kind of like there's waves in the waves correct and we're still looking just at the surface of the ocean here as you're watching these waves some of these waves they curl over the top of each other and you know other these waves they're like like almost like they're moving under each other you can actually see waves like moving on waves okay the, the, the dynamism just even watching the surface of the ocean is is incredible nothing moving like this now as you're sitting at the uh, on the beach looking at this they're just observing observing this 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 activity taking place in front of you now as the waves actually hit the beach itself, you watch the water rush up the beach and rush back down the beach, right? Now, anybody that swam in the ocean knows that even with shallow water, even, even in six inches of water, you can have what's called the undertow, which means, which basically is you've got literally, so you've got one 
you know, layer of water, meaning say the wave crashing onto the beach. Now you've got this layer of water moving up the beach. Now the previous wave has got this layer of water is now moving down the beach as this layer is moving up the beach. See what I'm saying here? So now the thing is, is if you're out in the water, even a couple feet in the water, if they, especially if they're bigger waves, that little bit of water that's moving back out can grab you and just pull you right out of the ocean. I've had it happen before. I've been in, I, I'm from Michigan originally, but I'm a water person and, and, and I love the ocean. Times I've been on the ocean, I love to just, I love to go out and swim. But I, I but it's been amazing to me. You could be literally looking at the ocean, looking at you know the, the beach being maybe 50 feet away, even 25, 30 feet away. Next thing you know, you get hit by a wave, get sucked up underwater, and you you by the time you come up, you're looking at shore going, gosh, it's like a couple hundred feet away. That's a long swim back to shore. Of course, this is why sometimes people drown. Sometimes people get pulled out by the undertow and they can't make it back to shore, or they get caught up in a current and get pulled even further out into the ocean. Okay, this is gravitational dynamics work a lot like this. So if somebody's wondering how can gravity be, be pulling a universe apart, but at the same time be holding together uh, gravitation or I'm sorry, galactic embodiments, stellar embodiments in this way, that is one example of how it could happen. Because gravity is moving back and forth, not, only, not unlike the way water moves, but except in, in, in the case of water, it's, it's moving in and itself like more on a molecular scale, whereas gravity is doing this not just on an atomic, but on a subatomic scale moving through itself. Um, really incredible. And again, that's, that's something that we can also... I can go into this and, and describe those dynamics for hours. And, and in fact, this is where I would love to get a physicist, a, a quantum physicist or an astrophysicist to work on the dynamics of how this might work. I think it would be incredibly fascinating. And Darren, if you would, please, can we go to the, oh, wait a second. Not yet. No, 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 no never mind. You're fine. Um, we'll do the next video here in a few more slides. You hold off for just a second. My apologies. Um, all right. So basically what's going on now, so the next analogy, the holes in the water bucket. <laughs> holes in a bucket. Never mind. Um, I'm getting excited here. I always do this when I'm talking about this stuff. And if I'm talking too fast, feel free to tell me to slow down. That also happens when I'm excited. I start talking really freaking fast. Um, all right. So, again, getting into this idea of, of, the, of, of, of how gravity can work in such a way that it could be pulling the universe apart while at the same time holding it together in a way holding the pieces of it together, galaxies, galactic clusters, clusters, super clusters, and so on. So think about it like this, that early, that, you know, right after the cosmic inflation, when those first cracks of the universe get to form, now understand gravity works with mass and is directly related to energy, okay? Even the energy of an electron, that is a form of mass unto itself. So gravity is working with all forms of energetic mass. So as the mass shifts and changes, as density changes, in other words, once, once the, the, the universe went from that primordial particle to that first initial cosmic inflation, gravity already changed because the density changed. The mass may technically be more or less the same, but the density changed. So gravity changed. Its force changed. And ultimately, as the universe pushed further out and got to that point of having those cracks in space, again, it's now becoming less dense becoming more voluminous, more volume, now it is starting to lose a little bit on its mass because, of course, it's using energy, also gravitational energy. So what's going on, you've got this, these little cracks are now allowing, in a manner of speaking, if you're thinking gravity moving a lot like water, gravity is now starting to leak away 
And that's a bad word. It's not leaking. Gravity is moving perfectly naturally. It's not leaking means something's wrong, and it's not. Le- but I, I don't know what other analogy to use to give it a sense of kind of what's starting to happen here. These first cracks start to happen. There's a little bit of so like this gravitational sort of leakage. And I don't. I'm sorry. It's not the right word. But it is only because it gives you a sense of that the small amount of gravity that's starting to kind of like sift away, move away from from this from this singular uh, universal embodiment. Now keep in mind, this is a multiverse we're talking about. It's not just one universal embodiment. Presumably, there's billions. There's an infinity of potential universal embodiments. So gravity is moving and interacting all over the multi-universal place, if you will. So okay, back to the bucket. So here we are. Imagine this early universe, you know, right after the, you know, the cosmic inflation happened, those first cracks are happening, and, 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 and now it's like you've got this bucket of water. The, the water being poured into the bucket is the, is the gravity coming in that, that's holding the, the parts of the universe still together. Now, the holes in the bucket are representing gravity that's leaving. So what's, what basically is happening and again, this is one of those things where I'd love to, again, let's get, let's get physics involved in this because I'm sure we could just break this way down. But what's happening here is that as the space, these cracks start to get bigger, more and more, and of course, this means the mass is changing, the density is changing, more and more gravity is finding its way out. It's, it's moving away, presumably to other uh, uh, incredibly dense um, potentially, you know, uh, whether it's anything from the, the primordial seedlings to new other, other, other universal embodiments to another entire like super universal embodiment itself. We're going to get into those movements here in a bit. But here we are. So as is is our universe starts to get bigger, as it's, it's being pulled apart, the cracks between space, between galaxies, between clusters keeps getting bigger. And as a result, it's like the water, you know, they, they, you got this amount of water that's coming in. So as this is happening... It was, it was, it was, one could make the argument that the water coming in, the gravity coming in is probably starting to get a little bit less. It's probably becoming less intense, less heavy with respect to where it was, say, at the cosmic inflation or especially at the point of the primordial particle. So now it's got room, more room to leave. So as, as we get bigger and bigger cracks, everything spreads apart more and more. You've got more room for this gravitational energy, these, these vast forces uh, of gravity there's a theory called m theory or membrane theory which we're going to talk about when we get to the multi-universal levels of experience that are basically these energetic movements and almost like that that massive framework upon which universal embodiments are 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 are, are infused if you will i don't want to say they're like on them or something they're infused within so much like that analogy of the water lapping up on the beach and moving out you can apply that to the, the holes in the water in the bucket and the idea of that is as you think about it, as, as the holes get bigger, obviously the water rushing out of the bucket is going to go out faster. And if you've got you know, the same amount of water coming in or even less water coming in, you can see where the gravitational force becomes weaker and weaker with respect to the entire universal embodiment. More and more of this gravity is rushing away towards other presumably universal embodiments of, of one form or another. And in the process, it's, it's, it's pulling the universe completely apart. Of course. Okay, uh, we have another question from um, Patricia. I think it's building on or kind yeah, of. Yeah, Patricia, I love. I'm, I'm so glad. <laughs> I, I, I'm engaging. Thank you. Yeah, she's great. Um, I think she's clarifying her last question. Um, she says, uh, with the asking with the greatest respect to, to your knowledge, she says, how does what you're sharing affect us as individual souls when 
uh, when you relate back to your near-death experience, uh, where does this knowledge fit in? Um, okay, I, let me let me do me on, on, on questions on those questions. Do me let me let me just get through the presentation, and when we get towards the latter parts of it, I, I I'm going to cover that, and I'd say that would be the time. Let, let's let's talk about the because I'm going to talk about God, gravity, consciousness. That that's going to be um, the last parts of this. Um, and I know you want answers there, and I'm going to give you answers there. All I could ask is just let me go through this process, because once we get there, um, I, I think it'll make a lot more sense why I wanted to do all of this before leading up to that part where we start to answer the truly the deepest questions, and also the questions with which, why do we want to go to the expanses of all of this in terms of how does it relate to our individual lives? And I promise you, by the time I wrap this thing up, we're going we're to cover that. So... Um, so uh, I just because I, I, I'm the thing is my I, I'm, I'm super OCD and since I hit my head I have a bad habit of like forgetting where I'm at really easily. Um, um, so if you have a question about where I'm at right now, uh, and cover that. Um, if you have a if, you know a question of applying like like the, the soul experience, um, let's wait till we're later towards the end of this thing because I'm, I'm I promise you we're going to get into all of that and I'm happy to take as much time as we need to to talk about what you want to talk about on that realm. Um, so let's see, where was I at again? Speaking of which, <laughs> I'm, I'm seriously, if you, if you ever get into an argument with me and you just want to distract, distract the argument, you totally can with me. Just, you'll just totally get me right off my thought, I swear. Like the easiest person to just like, just, uh, just to just completely distract. The last anyways, thing you um, were on about the bucket, the, um, the water. Oh, right. Yeah, we're on, okay, yes. We're on the universe as we see it today. So yeah, so as we as you see, you know, we've got uh, scientists that are, obviously there's a lot of evidence talking about the expanding universe and how it's and also too, this is, answers the other very difficult to answer question of you know not only is the universe expanding but why is the rate of the expansion increasing instead of decreasing? What I'm describing here, the holes in the water, the, the, the bucket the analogy, the wave analogy, basically explains why not only is the, the universe expanding but it's expanding at, at an ever increasing rate because as the space gets greater and greater between these points of matter. You've got just that more freedom of the movement of gravity to just continue to work you know, on this, on this scale of, of the multi-universe that's perhaps giving birth to something new. And at the same time, perhaps in a cycle of our universe as it's continuing to age, perhaps preparing it for its, for its ultimate death. But then again, there's a lot of possibilities may happen there as well. The most popular probably uh, theories on our universal end, as we know it, is, is theories called the Big Rip and the Deep Freeze. Basically what that's suggesting is that at some point, all the energy of all the stars and all the galaxies throughout the course of the entire universe as we know it is going to run its course. All that energy is going to stop. All the light is going to stop. Essentially, literally speaking, the lights will go out. It's, it's what's being suggested. Now, I would go so far as to say, sure, I can see that. If what I'm suggesting is true, if uh, gravity is pulling the universe apart, um, of course, energy, you know, especially electromagnetism and these strong and weak nuclear forces working the way they work, yes, they're, they're going to run their course. Um, but to suggest they're just going to run their course and run into a, just a, a freeze of, of, of pure non-existence is just not... I don't, I, it's not applicable. And again, it goes back to what I was talking about when we discussed the initial creation, the formation of our own universe. You've got so many of these, just never mind the other possible 
uh, energies that are out there that I don't even know about, I haven't even explored yet, but just the concept of the uh, uh, of, of supermassive black hole singularities just unto itself, just smashing into each other, giving the potential birth of a universe unto itself, lets you know the possibility that this thing could be going on all the time over an infinity of universal possibilities. So diving into now, we're going to take now we're now we're getting into I think what maybe some of the folks here are going to consider maybe the more fun stuff. Um, and I mentioned earlier, one of my favorite quotes is from Jonathan Hagelin, Jonathan Hagelin, and he said that we live in a thought universe. You know, everything is, this, this whole particle reality really is a reflection of this divine mind experiencing itself as we also experience within this divine mind and experience. Um, last, I guess, somewhat slightly scientific thing we're going to get super into, last couple things as I tie into this, um, is that one of the biggest questions has been is why does gravity have why is it so difficult to fit gravity into the theory of everything? And if you know what that is, it's basically like the theory of relativity. It's meant to be a short equation that describes the forces of the universe. And scientists can get three of the known forces, electro, uh, the electromagnetic force, the strong and weak nuclear forces. They seem to work with the physics, but they can't seem to get gravity to work. It's like almost like gravity is like just, just I mean, it, it just, it doesn't work at all. So I'm suggesting it doesn't belong there because gravity is not just a force, uh, a fundamental force of our singular universal embodiment, but a fundamental force of an entire multiverse. And all this thing is constantly doing is it's changing shapes, it's changing forms, changing energetic states. Even when we die from this life, Something I've learned, it's, it's a changing of states. It's an interesting thing that, I don't know if this, those that, that, that explore the first law of thermodynamics it really realizes how powerful that statement really is because it applies to the soul journey as well. We are, we are beings of pure consciousness. We're beings of pure love and light, having an experience of, of many different shades of light and dark. And, and when we pass, it, it, it's, it's a vibrational shifting is what's taking place. And what that means to the individual can mean a lot of things because there is no one cookie cutter answer for every single soul when they pass over, other than that it is a changing of energies and they're shifting into a space of incredible dynamism. And I do have a presentation for that. So maybe Darren, for the folks that are here, I do have a presentation that explains all the deep esoterics of the near-death experience itself, as you know. So maybe, maybe we could do that possibly next. Then um, I can even modify it to be maybe more of a follow-up to what we're doing here. Um, now, the concept of it, it begins where it ends, it ends where it begins. It's, it, it's all about the soul. It is all about the soul journey. Soul, this divine soul, divine being, the source, it is the, it, the truly the foundation of it all. Um, and in a manner of speaking, something I learned from a near-death experience, and this might sound kind of crazy because this is where it gets almost a little confusing and you've got to really give, give the human brain you know, the ego part of it, a rest and just say, okay, let's just forego anything I think is reality and just think about outside the box. And this is where you just go into the realm of imagination and think to yourself that it maybe doesn't make sense to my fundamental reality, but let's, let's, let's explore like, what if? So on the one hand, you've got this incredible, vast, dynamic, all-knowing soul, because when you think of it in terms of say the unified field itself, the field of consciousness itself, the field of life itself, Everything is existing there all at once. And in that moment, this divine being has all that information. You know, in a manner of speaking, it's funny. I'm just a, just a human being, but I can relate to that because I feel like I've got that same information available to me. 
However, what I'm finding as a human being in my experience is I still have to process and understand this information. It's not like I don't still have to learn it. You know what I mean? It's there. I have it. All I have to do is I take a look at it, I can explore it, and I can draw from that information. But then it also takes time to process it, learn it, and then even figure out how do I apply it to my day-to-day -day life and my day-to-day -day -day experience? And what does it really mean to this existence? Um, and, and, and again, having, having some fun with this, and Darren, if you would, please um, cue the, the last video. And I'm going to be quiet for a couple of minutes because this really exemplifies the idea of it begins where it ends and it ends where it begins. Because what it does is it takes it from right from our own human perspective and it shows us. And I love, I've, I've, and it's, it's, public, it's a public domain video, no less. And I love, and I'm gonna, I want to say it now because I'd rather just be quiet and let you just take this in while you're watching it. But you're going to go and I think it's in, in Angerwat in Cambodia is where it's like a zoom to a woman that's standing in a, in a ruin right there. And it goes right into her eye and, and into her mind and into her thoughts. And it takes it right into not only to the idea of, 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 of molecules, atoms, some atomic reality, but into a unified reality that it breaks out into all kinds of these really crazy abstract images, which to me is a multi-universal reality. And you come out at the other end of this multi-universal reality closing in on our universe closing in on our galaxy solar system and right back to her into her eye, face and into her eyes again anyways you've got to play this thing but 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 this is this is you this is me this is our soul this is you and me as this this entire multiverse as the divine itself okay go ahead cue it darren if you would please <laughs> Are we good? 
Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that you found that video as wonderful as I, as I find it. I know I've watched it probably a hundred times, and I just never get tired of watching. I love just the journey that it, that it takes you on and the possibilities of that journey. And, and I quoted that Mayan expression earlier in La Kach Alakin that I am you and you are me. You know, we are all an expansion of each other's consciousness. And I don't think that it just applies to each other, but it applies to the earth. It applies to our relationship to the divine. It applies to our relationship to the universe, um, to the ascended masters, to our loved ones. Um, we are, I mean, as a, as a being, we're not just these. We really are our experience, every single one of us. And, and one of the things that I, I, I've learned from myself is to take responsibility for my part of the experience, even for the things that have happened to me, even for the traumas and tragedies that have happened to me. Um, and, I, and I've also done, I've, I've done bad things. So the point is, is responsibility for, for the entirety of that whole experience um, and seeing it all for what it is and understanding that where you are and what you're getting, even if it's one of those things that even say something like, for example, and, and th thankfully this doesn't happen to me anymore, but I've, there was a time in my life I could just be walking down the street um, and I live in the city of Denver. It's, it's not a huge city, but it's a good sized city. And we've got homeless people in the city as well, unfortunately. And, um, and every once in a while you might, you know, I, I, I just be walking down the street and not, not be, you know, saying anything to anybody, not even be in a bad mood or anything. And all of a sudden some guy just walks up to you and starts yelling at me out of the blue and you're just thinking it's some arbitrary thing. He's just having a bad day. And, you know, maybe uh, in that case, I'm like, if I got something on me, I'll hand him. If I got some food, I'll give him some food or a couple, a couple bucks or something. Um, but you, even in lieu of that, believe it or not, because if you want to, did you want to see something get diffused real quick? Just show some love. It'll, it'll diffuse anything real fast. Most of the time, depending on what's going on. I mean, anyway, I don't want to get into that right now, but the point is, is this, it's one of those things that I now realize if something like that happens, even as seemingly arbitrary as that may be, and you wanted to say to yourself, no, it's no big deal. It's just one of those things that just happens in a day. No, it really isn't. If there's one thing I've learned is there's really nothing arbitrary about the experience, even the little things that seem like they are, especially if you're seeing them in a patternistic fashion, they're happening over and over again in a similar way over and over again. Um, you're, 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 you are expressing yourself as your, your divine being as your soul, not just as a human being in this life, but you're experiencing as a soul. And as a soul, your experience is everything that you're connected to, everything you experience, everything you can imagine that's part of it is you. It's all a reflection of you, who you are, and where you are in your experience. Um, and so, yes, there's, there's this vast, vast uh, gosh, I, dare I say it, universe of information with which to draw to even start to look through and, and answer even your 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 day-to-day -day life questions. You know, even in a particular kind of a moment, you have a situation with somebody that you love, so maybe there's a tension going on between you. Um, you know, so many people these days seem to want to take the easy path through everything and just say, you know, it's not working out, just walk away, put it behind you. But that's not always the best path. Sometimes that's what's best, but most of the time it's not. It's, it's doing the work. It's having the introspection, the love, the compassion, the empathy to look at this and go, you know what? I can see what's going on here. I can see why I'm hurting and why, you know, I, I reacted the way I did. But you know what? I'm looking at this person going, I know them. I know what went into their statement, their reaction, and I can see why it clashed, why it turned out the way that it did. Now, as a result, I see a peaceful way through this. It may not be easy. We may have to argue, but, but I can still see a peaceful way through this. So you do it because it's a loving thing to do as a part of the reflection of your reality.
Because I'll tell you, if you want to take those easy ways out all the time, again, that becomes a reflection and, and patterns will start to emerge in the manifestation of your existence, of your experience that will, that will support that. And it won't always be pleasant. You're going to be sitting back wondering why this thing keeps happening when you're like, hey, I'm a good person. I do the right things. But yet there's these dynamics, these subtle dynamics that you're missing because um, if there's something like that that's going on, that to me is spiritual communication, divine communication going, hey, you pay attention to this. You need to think about this. You need to process this. And there might be something you need to do about this. You know, again, each time it happens, it's a little bit different. But the idea is, you know, use that introspection. Draw vast, again, multiverse of information that we all have access to us because we are all divine soul. I mean, when I talk about my near-death experience, sometimes people are like, wow, you're so lucky. Like, okay, in a way, maybe. The, the, the medical part of it, maybe not so much. That, that was rough, really rough. But I get what people sometimes say, but the thing is this, is that the near-death experience is not the only way to have such an awakening. We can see this. This is a part of us already. You can see this anytime you're ready to see this. I mean, we really do, and I see this all the time, we really do get stuck on our little bubbles of reality, our entire perception of reality. Every, all the answers to all the questions we seek are we try to do it in this little tiny bubble of reality that is our life on earth, and we get frustrated thinking that just some questions are just unknowable because the reality is, <laughs> if I may, the answer is outside of that bubble someplace. And if you're going to really, really find and get to that answer, that bubble is going to have to grow. And what's really interesting is if you do the work and that bubble does grow to where you finally get your bubble of reality big enough to where you now can en encompass the answer to that question, all of a sudden you start to realize a lot of other things that come with it because now your bubble of reality is so much bigger, more, more expansive, and more attuned even, if you may, and, and more attuned to those dynamics and subtleties and details of that reality. Any questions? <laughs> All right. So getting into, you know, the, you know, when we start thinking about possibilities, one of the things I, I, I like to think about a lot, especially now, because I was so like, I was as stuck as anybody, and I was as caught up in, in karmic patterns as anybody, and most of which would just, would just end up in just negative ways, even just like, like my relationships and just, you know, it'd be different people, different situations, but yet somehow they'd always go the same way. And it's like, come on, I, I try to do, you know, try to do it different, yet it always, always ends up the same. So you, what, what does that mean, you know, in terms of trying to understand it? Where do you want to, where, where do we go to try to find some of these answers? And, and one of the things I talk about is this idea in, in quantum theory, it's a particle wave duality kind of a thing. And, and we can talk about it spiritually as well, uh, getting into discussing it in terms of the Akasha, you know, the, the, the soul, uh, where basically, you know, even, even in like the here and now, you know, you're standing at a point in your life, and I don't know where everybody is, and I know for myself personally, I have forks in the road right now. I have things in my life that I'm looking at going, if I go this direction, I, this path can emerge. If I go this direction, this, this path can emerge. So right now, it's like Schrodinger's cat in a way. I'm looking at things where these possibilities are in a state of superposition because right now, every possibility is a possibility and every reality still is a reality because it has not collapsed down to one reality yet which is what the idea of collapsing of the wave function is. Only it applies to particles, but I'm applying this to, to our reality and our experience. Looking out over the decisions, over the possibilities, and then breaking down those possibilities and those decisions into a singular path, into a singular reality. That's basically what is meant by that collapse of the wave function, going from the wholeness, the non-locality, the oneness, to the singular moment in space-time, if that makes sense. Any questions there? 
So to me, you can draw information. So when I, what I do, this is one of the things that I do because I, I you know, even have a situation right now that um, because it, it's, it's somebody from my past. And I know if I take the same course I took before, just, just because I'm 53 years old and been there, done that by now, even, even without the NDE, it's like, you know, I know this is just going to go down the same road. Everything else goes down. So what I'm doing, what I'm doing was looking at sitting back and I'm contemplating possibilities. This is interesting. So while I'm contemplating possibilities about the future and I'm looking down, if I do this, what might play out? If I do that, what might play out? If I do it this way, what might play out? If I do this completely the opposite of what I might think, you know, in terms of if I want to get in someone's face and blah, 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 say it the way it is because uh, I'm frustrated, you know, it'll go this direction. But if I just sit back and be patient and say it this way or, or handle it this way, you know, give this person this space or what have you, then, then, then there's a possibility for other dynamics to open up to where maybe there's, a, there's something productive that can draw from it in terms of dialogue, conversation, that, and, that, and that sort of thing. And so what I'm saying from all of that is now when I'm thinking about this and I start realizing things that happened from the past. So now not only am I looking at this going, okay, this is what I feel like they did. Now, even more importantly to me, most importantly, I'm looking at this going, wow, this is what I did. We are co-creators in all of these experiences, okay? The blame game to me does not work. If you have real integrity, if really walking that path, then you own your stuff. You, you, you screw up. You hurt somebody especially. Wake up, realize that, and own that. And if you can do that, that's a step towards possibly healing and making that right as one possible outcome to the path because you took a look at everything in this way that you've never looked at before. And all of a sudden, all this other information came to you that you didn't even expect was going to come to you because all of a sudden you expanded this bubble of reality out to something you've never gone to before. And now that you're there, it's like, like you know, going through the looking glass. You can never go back. You know what I mean? What you see, you can't unsee what you've seen. And so you take that level of growth and take that next step. And then, of course, for most of us, then you want to take the next level after that. For every answer you, you get, you, you've got more questions to those answers. So then you want to continue to grow and that bubble continue to expand and grow to hopefully you're expanding to a sense of feeling like that. Yeah, I am the universe. I am this multiverse. I am all that is, yet I am myself. I'm still Rex. You know, you're still Darren and Patricia's still Patricia and so on and so on. The tree is still the tree. The cat's still the cat. You know what I mean? Your dog's still your dog. <laughs> in, this, in this unified field, man, I'm telling you, again, we would, life would not exist if this field, this, this, this divine being, of course, this field of consciousness that is the mind of the divine wasn't alive, purely conscious, and fully sentient. Now, to me, consciousness and sentience are, are two different things. People get caught up in this idea that consciousness is self-awareness. To me, sentience is self-awareness. Consciousness is that inner knowing of everything we're talking about here. That, to me, is reflections of consciousness. Individual, you are, you are, you are aware and, and knowing of this part of your being that I am now describing. That, to me, is true consciousness. Any questions? Okay. No questions that I can see at the moment. No. Oh, right. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about these energetic, like ripple effects. And now we're going to get into something. This is, I don't know. I, I hope you love this as much as I do. The last time I presented on this, the whole room just went, Ooh. So I hope you do the same thing. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so essentially when you start thinking about movements, you know, now we're, now, 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 listen, we're taking this thing. Now we're talking about, Everything we just talked about with our universal life cycle, but now we're taking this out to the expanse of the potential for the infinity of these universal life cycles, okay?
So imagine this vast movement of these incredible embodiments of universal possibilities. Okay. Now think about it like this. Now they're not. Now, 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 now. When we talk about it in this context, we're we're doing it in a spatial context, like it's all spread out in this big faraway sense. Now, energetically speaking, it's all infused. I mean, for all we know, if, you know, in terms of the anthropomorphized version of this, it really this multiverse may, for all intents and purposes, may still just be like a core core and electron and nothing more, really. And it really is just this, this this simple super fundamental particle that's just interacting on this complex prismatic, you know. Ref- Self that I was describing earlier, um, but any, but um, but that's just what's so cool about this. When you start to think about the universal possibility, one universe like ours. Now I've heard it suggested. Now maybe you were in a cycle of the universe where the universe is going to pull itself apart. It's, it's really going to die as we know it. But again, what does that death mean? Out of the ashes rises the phoenix. So our universe dies; it morphs into something else. Um, but but the idea is, yeah. Go ahead. A uh, question from Patricia. Um, has this knowledge brought you happiness? You know, that's a mixed bag. So on the one hand, yes. Um, I, I cannot begin to tell you the, the, the peace that I have, that I, that I have found through these explorations. My near-death experience has been extreme. And of course, I've had to do the work. It wasn't like it just got handed to me um, between the fact that it took tears of my life to heal, to, 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 to be where I'm at now. And I'm still healing. I still go through it. Um, but the thing is this. I wouldn't have it any other way but but the, I call it a blurs. Actually, it's a friend of mine, the drummer of my band. I, I, I'm in a couple of bands. One of my big big, big things that's happened since my NDE is I become a musician, composer, and things. Again, I never did that before. But the drummer of my band has a term that he uses, and it's blurs. Um, the, the term blurs is both blessing and curse. So because of the kind of world that we live in, being the level of sensitive that I am now, uh, because because guidance spirit tells me don't put up the don't put up filters, don't put up walls, um, don't don't block anything out. Okay, which makes things incredibly challenging and difficult at times. Take it all in, don't obstruct any of it. So in that regard, I mean, I'm feeling everything in this world, especially since we're in such an incredibly difficult, intense time. And so many people, yes, on the one hand, a lot of us are using this for introspection and shifting, but a lot of people are going through some really, really genuine tragedies in their lives. And and I can't discount that. There's a lot of genuine fear in the world right now. Um, So that part of it, to me, is extremely overwhelming and extremely difficult. And there's also the aspect, too, that um, there are times that, and, and maybe some of you do too, maybe Patricia, you feel this way, um, but there are times I feel extremely alone with this information. Um, I do have friends that I can talk to. I do have a handful of people that I can go to these, to the, to the, to the extent that I like to go at, that I can explore and express the way I really like to. But most people, you know, it, it loses them. And, and I get that. It's not for everybody. Not everybody needs this information to be illuminated and enlightened because as we talked earlier, it's really simple. All we, need, all we have to do is love. Just, just, just figure out what love really means to you in love that's that's it's really that simple we don't need the rest of this this is just you know perhaps part of my path of what i needed because i was such a thick-headed stubborn idiotic individual through parts of my life um that i needed this kind of a um butt kicking if you will to get me to finally just open up and wake up and um um, so yeah it's a mixed bag patricia It's, it's it's difficult on the one hand i wouldn't have it any other way it's brought me tremendous peace um um, if, if, if ever there was a time in my life that I now believe and I can see my journey home, um, it's definitely now. So that alone gives me tremendous peace. In fact, I can, I can just break down and start crying about it right now because of the way it just touches me when I think about it. 
But at the same time, yes, in this world, and sometimes just feeling alone with this information, uh, feeling alone with this, this feeling of sensitivities and, 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 and even the love sometimes. And I've got lots of loving people in my life. I'm not taking away from that at all. I, I love the people in my life. And I've got a lot of people I know love me too. Um, but I do. I feel very lonely sometimes. And, and sometimes it's just, you know, and again, I get very, very overwhelmed with the energies of the world because I'm taking it all in. And sometimes I have a hard time navigating it. And sometimes it overwhelms me to the point where I, I, I can become depressed. And even some of my anger, you know, I used to be a very angry person. And every once in a while, even that can start to peek through a little bit if I'm not careful. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to that. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes it can. But the thing is, um, the thing about knowledge is, is a and again, I'm sure you relate to this too, is that there's a responsibility that comes with it. Um, sometimes I, you know, in my loneliness with this information, I realize too that there's a responsibility that comes with the, that that information, um, that even if I'm the only one that knows it, it's especially my responsibility to be acting on it because oftentimes when I start to do that, you set an example, set a precedent, and all of a sudden it seems like others start to kind of go, oh, hey, cool, I'm going to do this too. <laughs> well, this resonates. I like this. Let me support this. And, and, and it's kind of like, and I don't mean this in a, in a demeaning way, but it's kind of like the 100th monkey theorem in a way to where, you know, so many people start to do the same thing that eventually it just starts to become just a natural part of, of the fabric of information where people just are, are just kind of doing it out of the blue without necessarily being taught. Um, so, there is that aspect of it because, again, we are connected. We are infused, one and the same, co-creators of our experience, one singular consciousness here. Um, and we can shift our, our vibrational realities as well. Um, years ago, I saw this goofy little information, infomercial um, that was talking about, I forget what it was selling, uh, but the term that it used, uh, I love, so I kept the term, which is quantum jumping. Um, I th again, I, I forget what it was, some dumb inf infomercial thing I saw years ago, but it, the, the term stuck with me. And getting into this concept of vibrational realities and, and, and multiple possibilities of ourselves, um, understand these are not these, these universal possibilities. You know, when I talk about this, and even the way I'm about to express it to you, it's going to make them appear kind of separate and 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 and, 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 and removed from one another. But the thing is, they're actually completely infused with one another. They're layered on top of one another, differentiated only vibrational resonances. Okay, this is all vibrational. I mean, wasn't it? I think Tesla. Within Tesla, who said, if you want to understand the universe, think in terms of frequency, vibration, and energy, truth, absolute truth, because um, it is. I mean, for all intents and purposes, for all, well, for all we know, all this vibration, all this interaction is just taking place in what we consider the space of, of an electron for all intents and purposes. You know, it doesn't, that, that, that's all completely relative. Um, but the point is, with this quantum jumping concept, you can literally move from reality to reality to reality by the changing of your, of your vibrational space. Now, people like Einstein have talked about, you know, match the vibrational frequency that you seek in, in, in the universe. And of course, this is a total paraphrase, but the universe can't help but match that frequency. And there's truth to that. So even in science, it's been discussed that way. Um, I think Planck and others have said things along those lines. Uh, so my point is this quantum idea of quantum jumping, I liked in terms of the idea of shifting your basically you're in living a particular universal reality, but in the shifting of your vibrational energies as you learn and you grow and you heal and you resolve and make peace things from, from, from things from your past and you learn and evolve and you start to create and manifest these new communities with new people or even 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 the, the infusion of people from your past that are now a part of this new reality. Um, you are essentially jumping from one, I guess, arrow of time to another arrow of time, moving from arrow of time to arrow of time to arrow of time. 
and still being you, the person that you are, if that, if that makes sense. I know there's abstraction to that. And you really, again, you've got to get outside of three-dimensional corporeal thinking to really start to imagine that possibility. But there's a, there's, but there's a truth to that because, again, we know, again, science tells us that this corporeal, corporeal reality is not the actual reality. The quantum states, the quantum spaces, these cosmological spaces, this is the reflection of the true reality. The, as, these abstractions this is true reality. What we think, I should say it this way, what we perceive to be these abstractions um, are the true reality. It's, in that space, it's pure probability and possibility to collapse down, create a singular manifestation on a singular arrow of time, on a singular experience, and a singular incarnation. <laughs> and you can even break it down further than that if you want to. And Darren, if you would please, kind sir, get ready to roll the Taurus video. Now, if you know what the Taurus is, and obviously, uh, this is not the astrological sign Taurus. This is Taurus, spelled T-O-R-U-S. And what it basically is a representation of what I was, to me, the first law of thermodynamics, this idea that energy cannot be created nor destroyed, is always changing states. And then the question becomes, how does this energy continue to perpetuate itself? And Because can energy, as it's changing states, is constantly releasing. And it's constantly moving in a cyclical, patternistic um, states, if you will. It, it, everything is very patternistic. It's all very, you know, if you could imagine, like, for a moment, if you, if, if you, if you for all, for those of us that are old enough to remember the old school television sets, and before we had cable TV, if you remember when, when the station would sign off for the night, you could just look at your TV or, or even just turn it to a station that doesn't, that didn't come in. It wasn't, that didn't have a frequency. You would just see the snow, right? It just go, just, like a white noise. You see, like, it looked like a, the snow and all these like, little particles moving in this seemingly random fashion. Now, when I was a kid, I used to love to just <laughs> lose myself and just like stare off into it. And when I would do this, I would see all kinds of crazy cool patterns come out of it. Now, I never understood what was going on. I was just a kid having fun with my mind and just doing goofy, crazy things with my mind because even as a kid, I had a crazy imagination. Um, now, I, I imagine the movements of, these, of, of this toroidal energy flow maybe being a little bit like that so and, and, and on one hand when you just look at it from a distance it just looks like this hodgepodge of just a bunch of just particles popping and sparkling all over the place but at the same time you really look at it you realize oh no this is incredibly patterned it's incredibly dynamic and you sort of get a sense of how it really does give a sense of self-generation to the movement of the universe and why it really is infinite eternal and effectively forever as far as we're concerned even if it's changing states into something we can't identify with, this existence, this experience, this movement, it's, it's, it's eternal and infinite. It, it is forever. All right, Darren, if we could move. Um, actually, let me just do this real quick and we get ready to move to the kaleidoscope slide. Now, right now, I've just got a picture of the kaleidoscope up. In fact, I'm going to. Can you see this picture? Can you see this? Okay, good. Um, same idea, because I'm using the. So what I want to explain here, now think about, again, we're anthropomorphizing this because there is not likely to be any electromagnetism or light that we could perceive if we could somehow detach ourselves and observe a multi-universal reality like this. But imagine this is the multiverse. It's kaleidoscope we're looking at, this representation of the multiverse, okay? Now, in this kaleidoscope, you see there is a center to it, though. Now, as Darren gets into the kaleidoscope video, I want you to do is take a look at this, but don't think of it because I couldn't find a non-domain or public domain video that had a really cool kaleidoscope that had a non-discernible center to it. 
And there's a couple spots in this video that kind of do what I want it to do, but not exactly. So I want you to imagine uh, while you're looking at the kaleidoscope that there's no discernible center to this, or, or I shouldn't say that, that the discernible center is constantly moving. How about that? It's always moving. Um, now, if you would please, Darren, go ahead and run the video. <clears throat> now, think about each pattern that you're looking at, whether they're broad stroke patterns from the entire picture itself, all the way down to some of the smaller patterns, those patterns within the patterns, patterns within those patterns. It starts to remind you a little bit of like the ocean flow, water, kind of like that a little bit, right? But also, imagine every one of these little patterns you're looking at that are morphing, closing down, and pulling back out. Imagine these are all universal possibilities. Perspective, we're growing over billions and trillions of years time. So obviously what you're looking at, you know, for our few seconds for all intents and purposes, you could be spanning a Googleplex of years of time here. If you can, you can move this in some kind of an arrow of time. Because again, this level of reality is completely infused and completely vibrational. I'm trying to break it down in a way so we can start to, again, get a sort of a, a human picture of this. You get a sense of what it's really starting to look like. So you can literally pick any color, any pattern, and just imagine a vibrational or universal reality in that. Now, even from a volume standpoint, some of them are gigantic and some of them are huge. Uh, and then, of course, some of them are absolutely tiny and minuscule. Now, for those that are experiencing within the space of a universe, like our universe, how could we possibly know the difference between you can put our universe in this picture somewhere or in the movement of these pictures. How can we say that maybe we're not just a teeny tiny little speck and not actually one of the big, beautiful formations? We might just be that little teeny tiny micron of a speck, but to us, we're still the fast, intricate universal body. So how do we know the difference between size, space, mass, volume, all that stuff? It just, at this level, it makes difference. It's all completely relative, all completely subjective. Now, take this one step further as you're looking at this. Wrap this kaleidoscope around that torus you just saw and fuse those together. Now, if I had a video that did that, <laughs> that's the one I'd be showing. Now, if you can imagine that, now we're looking at, we even have a little bit of a visual aid to help us out here. If you can imagine that, you start to get a sense of this vast, multi-universal interactions that are taking place in what some scientists refer to as the bulk or hyperspace. As far as I'm concerned, it's still just space. This is still space-time gravity at work. Okay, Dan, if we could move to the next slide, please. Questions? I should probably ask that right now. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, Patricia says, be the light that you are, sending respect for who you are and the experiences you've had. Uh, but apart from that, no, no questions. Okay. Well, thank you, Patricia. Beautifully said and right back at you. In fact, right back at everybody. Um, so just uh, getting into the, the, the space-time gravity field, all this stuff that we're talking about. Uh, essentially, I mean, this is, this is the basis of it all. This is what's so crazy. Space-time gravity is not just our singular universal construct. This is the, the construct which, the, which makes the mind of God work. Mind of the divine, mind of the ultimate observer, however you want to term that divine source being. Effectively, it is. Just like I, I, I've got it, I, I just spell it out like I say here. Space gives form and function, function to time. Time gives movement to space, as in the arrow of time. And gravity is the framework. It's this very, very dynamic, malleable, incredible framework 
that is the basis of all that movement as we're looking at the movement of the Taurus, as we're looking at the movement of that multi-universal existence in the kaleidoscopes that we're looking at. This is gravity at work. It is literally like that, like a, that, that super malleable framework that is essential. Gravity is one of those things that can function by itself. I, I should say function. It can exist by itself. It can be just, it is an inert space of simply being gravity. Consciousness, too, could simply just be, which is essentially starting to describe the non-locality of the unified field again. Which is why, again, gravity is still inherent, whether you're talking about the non-locality of a unified field or even getting into the first levels of actual matter, getting into what's called the Higgs field, moving from the space of pure non-locality to a space where now we have some level of an experience taking place with the first formation of fundamental particles like that of electrons, quarks, bosons, and so on, moving into more of a subnuclear and then, of course, an atomic and then molecular realities getting into what we perceive to be our physical reality. But this whole space-time fabric, space-time gravity fabric is exactly that. It is literally like if there is a, 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 a television set, sort of a, a, you know, again, construct, if you will. There is no real construct like that. But if you want to, again, give it an anthropomorphism or an analogy, it's, it's almost like that. Because it's basically what makes everything you see on that TV work. Everything you hear, all that happens right there. It's what makes it all work. Without it, it could not be. Space-time could not exist without gravity. Nothing can exist without gravity, and nothing could exist without consciousness. So in effect, it's gravity that's the mover. Gravity is, is in, in, like, like say, let's take an example, getting into even a physical reality. A lot of scientists suggest, and although Einstein suggested differently, Einstein also suggested that gravity tends to be I, I, I've heard it, it's not something that's ever really been discussed much. Most people seem to think in the scientific community, it's, it's like when, say, star formation takes place, you look at one of these beautiful, colorful nebulas. You know, we've all seen pictures of colorful, beautiful nebulae. Um, they tend to be, as scientists suggest, are, are the basis for future star formation and future, future solar systems. Um, but the current belief is, is that it, it, it's gravity that is responding to the movement of matter. Typically, somehow, through solar winds and other forces that certainly do exist, um, these gases start moving, start swirling, start to congeal, start to hit a level of density, where all of a sudden, gravity starts to, it now it starts to attract gravity, I think is the term. And all of a sudden, gravity starts to impose itself. And when gravity starts to impose itself, then the actual star formation could take place. My suggestion is that it's the other way around. It's gravity's movements that actually are the instigator here on not just on these physical levels, but are moving on these atomic and subatomic and subnuclear levels into this unified levels of reality. It's gravity that's making these move. It is consciousness that is making this move because consciousness, again, does not always involve sentience. We start to think about what life really is. I mean, life, you know, we, we, most of us agree that the planet Earth is alive. You know, some science may argue that it, that it may not be organic in the context of how our, organi our organism, organism, organism is defined. Defined. Sorry. Sorry, I'm talking too fast again. Um, but at the same time, most of us would agree that it, it is still an example of life. The sun is an example of life. The solar system is an example of life. The galaxy is life. The universe is life. Even if it is not organic by what current science describes as what is defined as an organism, it is alive. It is all life. And if I may be a little bit, even slightly poetic, if you will, gravity is a sculptor. The entirety 
of the singular conscious multi-universal experience is the clay. Gravity gives form to the unified field, which is what gives it all its dynamism. The unified field is potential experience. It is, it is, it is possibilities for experience. It is potential reality. It's gravity that gives that form so that there's that dynamism to the unified field. So as we collapse to a singular arrow of time or a singular moment in that arrow, arrow of time, it, it moves into the realm of action and movement, it becomes kinetic. You know, we've heard in energy and science class the difference between potential energy and kinetic energy. You know, basically what we're working with here. And I like to use this particular image because it kind of gives a little bit of that warping feel of the fusion uh, of both the kaleidoscope and that, and that video of the Taurus sort of working together in a manner of speaking. You can sort of see so many potential dynamics for, for abilities, especially if you think about it from, from, the, from a universal, sta universal standpoint. And this is where we get back to that point again, where it begins where it ends, it ends where it begins, because whether you're looking at it from the perspective of the source unified field, or you're looking at it from this idea of going out so far you're at the, the expanse of a multi-universal reality, just like that video showed us. And I love that video so much because it showed us that both these spaces of reality, it's all really infused as one in the same reality. So when you want to go out to the, multi multiple ver the multiverse, go into the unified field, both are potential reality. Both are levels of reality that are just pure potential, pure possibility and probability of what may or may not happen. So again, what is really the difference? Seriously, how can you define the difference this unified field and this multi-universal existence? And also let me be clear about one more thing about this unified field. This, I'm sure as you've already surmised, there's not a different unified field per universe. There is one singular unified field that is the expression of every single, not just universal possibility, but every single experiential possibility imaginable, which is where not only the universe comes in, but again, every one of us and all of our lives and all of our life experiences come in and all the dynamics of those individual experiences and all the potentials, how we may use this information, drawing on something that makes us understand something as simple as when you understand this, you start to understand why if you hurt another human being, you are in fact hurting yourself because you are that person as that person is you. And we're almost to the end of this, you guys. Um, and this is, again, the spirituality of gravity, the spirituality of the consciousness of gravity, space-time gravity, the, 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 the building, and the, the, if you will, again, the, the anthropomorphized term of the construction of creation itself through space-time gravity. And it's done through this mind, through mindfulness. And yes, as crazy as it seems, for as messed up as everything in this world is, and as for as dark as existence could truly be, it, it, it is naturally geared towards healing. It is naturally geared towards the fulfillment and the completeness uh, of, of the being of everything. Everything may have its point of running its course, but if, it's, but if there's one thing that truly is infinite and eternal, it is a space in its very essence because there's a one point of it all that is beyond experience and is simply the being of the, that which is love that which is life and it is the life that gives the potential for the experience and the potential for experience the potential for you me trees the clouds the stars and everything we can possibly imagine this is basically the hands of god at work it is gravity moving at the speed of thought
in being, movement at the speed of thought. I feel like we should rethink our definition of the universe. You know, everything that I've just explained, everything I've just described, when you say universe, I mean, universe means one. Uni is one. I get because we're trying to expand off of a singular uni concept that the current accepted ter you know, terminology is, is multiverse or multi multiple universe. I'm going to suggest that as we move forward and progress down this path, that we look at this and think about this in terms of what everything I've just explained. This is the universe. This is the true universe. As above, so below. It begins and ends, it ends where it begins. Yin and yang, the internal and the external. It's all one and the same. This is all the true singular one universe. And you and I, every person, everything, we are a reflection of this universe as this reflection is a universe of every single one of us and every single experience. So just like it, with life, the universe, the multiverse, um, we have come full circle. This whole, even this presentation has, has ended where it begins and it has begun where it ended. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, bad joke, I'm sure, but, it, but it's true. It's all, life is, it's all cyclical. It's circular. And, 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 and eventually, that which is born of light goes home to light. And that's everything. If you believe in a concept of devils and angels, you believe in Lucifer, yes. Even Lucifer, who I may remind you, is the bringer of light. That's what the name Lucifer even means. To will eventually find his way home. Everything goes home. Everything that which is like goes home. And that is every one of us, everything that is. And, and unfortunately, it's like, in a manner of speaking, the divine being and, and having to know everything, to truly know itself. And this is where it gets very difficult for those of us that are, that are being, you know, that, that are in the, in the experience, the beings that are the experience of this divine being, you know, that, that, the, that, that some of these experiences can go so completely dark. And yet, at the same time, no matter how dark an experience ever goes, no how dark a being ever becomes, there is still the journey home. And, and they too will find their way home because much like you know, the, the cracks of the early universe is doing what it naturally does, those cracks of light are going to make their way through. They're going to shine. They're going to break, break away the shells of the ego, the, the shells of the darkness. They're going to melt it all away. And, and, and I know this sounds all romanticized and, and, and all of that, but I mean, and, and again, this is all very broad brushstroke stuff because this process is very intense. And this is a process that can take many, many lifetimes. It gets into concepts of dharma and karma and all these things that, you know, talks about that we do live through many different incarnations, not just here on Earth, but through many dimensional possibilities, you know, including that of the of, of, of guides and angels of that which, you know, some of us have. You know, those some of our loved ones, when they die, they become sort of like that guardian angel and, and somebody that we reach out to for answers to questions when life gets difficult or even sometimes it's when you're in that moment of just happiness. You just want to reach out and go... Just take back, flashback to a happy memory of somebody that you love. The moment of hugging, like me and my, like when my mom died. I, one of my favorite memories this is just hugging my mom. My mom gave like the biggest hugs in the world, um, and and be able to take that in is, is, is you know, is part of the the collapsing in a moment and, and experiencing in a moment of of, of beings and, and vibrational realities um, on all levels right here on planet Earth as human beings. And, and being able to experience and see, even as a human being, myself, just as, as someone who's been so angry and so hateful and, and just, just so unforgiving in this life, just to be able to recognize that through everything, how beautiful it all really is. And the source being God, truth. God is love. You are love. And because you are God, I am God. That source, that soul is with every single one of us. 
um, in, in, in understanding this consciousness, this, this space-time traveling over rotational realities, and, and however you, however you manifest, it is all truth. You are this divine being, and we have the capacity, not just individually, but as we come together, to just grow the strength exponentially, not only to to help shift this world, but to find the answers, the means, uh, how, what steps we need to take and then implement this. So real shift, real change finally happens. So we're not just the upswing of just yet another human pattern that's been going on for thousands of years. This is not just healing and working through the today, but it's also how do we break the patterns so we don't find ourselves going right back, right back down these same roads yet again for the for the umpteenth time because <laughs> we've been down this road way too many times. Not only do we need the healing in the moment of, say, George Floyd, the Black Lives Matter movements, um, and all the stuff that's just going on all over the world. It's clearly <laughs> all over the world, you know. But but this but this but this, but the shifts are going to have to start happening. Especially for those of us that explore some of these vibrational realities, so we can take these ideas to the world and say, hey, listen, there really is a lot more to this. And you can experience and feel this on whatever level you're meant to, but in the way that I do it. I mean, it'll be your own unique expression, but you can see and feel and understand and experience on a level just like me or anybody else because this is what we all are at our own source, at everybody's source. I don't want to say it like it's our own source. We don't own this. But at the same time, it's a part of everybody. Everybody, everything, your cat, your dog, the blade of grass, it's all there. Just waiting for us to just tap into it and use it because love is the most powerful force in the universe. And it's, it's just waiting for us to put it to work in our own lives and as co-creators in this entire world. When you start to make these kind of connections, when you, you start to actually be able to put it in your own, it's, get to a point where it's not something that's a, that you talk about. I think I see in the world, a lot of people can intellectualize this. They talk about this and, and, and can say it in some of the most beautiful ways. And I've heard some incredible, wonderful expressions, but so many of these same people seem to be running down those same kinds of negative patterns in their life, relationship patterns, um, you know, patterns of whatever kind of work they love to do, their activities, um, but yet they, they and then even in certain moments when they have an opportunity to, to apply something healing, they don't do it. So a lot of this really is the trying to break through, crack, break, break, break through, you know, the current ways of thinking, at least to the, I'm not trying to say this is how it is to you. You need to see what I see, but just, hey, think about this. Okay, see, see you know, what does this mean to you? And when you start to make a connection to these deeper forms of reality, especially when you start to understand and have an empathy towards these connections, um, then love starts to make it enter enter the picture a lot more with, with everyday decisions, every moment decisions. Even just standing, say, in a convenience store someplace in a line full of people that are all stressed out, yelling at the clerk trying to trying to get up because they're all in a hurry. Uh, even a simple moment like that, being able to take a moment and say, you know what, if I just say this right now, or if I do this right now, I can diffuse the entire situation, take the stress out of this moment, and allow everybody else to go about their day in a more peaceful fashion. And maybe this clerk, who's completely stressed out right now, uh, can take a deep breath, and all of a sudden, maybe his or her day can maybe take a turn for the better which might otherwise just get worse and worse to the point where they go home and just have a big cry or something. Um, so it, it, it's, it's so many of these little day-to-day -day examples that when you start to connect with these deeper forms of reality, um, it, it really brings out the love. It brings out the empathy. It brings out this intuition. And that's, again, it's a part one of us. We all have the ability to see this, but because we're all different in our experience, of course, the expressions are going to be different. But what I find happens, and as I've already said, several times, and I think it's already been expressed, is that 
if we can get to the point where we really are in a space of feeling that deeper love, that agape, you know, that God's love, that part of us that is that soul being, um, you know, our soul love and being able to start to perceive and understand from this more kind of objective, loving, heartfelt space, then not only can you start to affect a moment in a more positive fashion, uh, fashion, but then you start to look at yourself. Even in my case, I've looked at parts of my past that were such to, to my life now because it's just so hard to look at for me that I just did living something seeming simple as forgiveness allowed me to shift that energy to where all those horrible memories are now serving as a point of inspiration in my current life. Because one of the things that it has served already for is it just one you know physical example, one example of the experience is that there are people out there that are not, you know, that on the surface, they may be all covered in their tattoos because I say, because I've got tattoos and I've got long hair and I dress in black and all that. But there's people out there too that when you meet them, you just don't have any idea what they really know. And I've learned because of where I've been, some of the things that I've done in my past, people that might not otherwise open up to these ideas now become more open to it because they look at me as somebody that they can kind of relate to because I've done some of the things they've done. I've done some of the things that maybe they're even doing in their life right now. You know, uh, maybe they've been to prison. I haven't been to prison, but I've, I've, I've been some, some very dark roads and I've known people that have certainly been there. And so my point is, is that he was, I've even had an experience where a guy who was in prison uh, in a situation during a conversation kind of blasted me for a second. I kind of got in his face a little bit, not to try to start a fight with him at all. I didn't want that. But at the same time, to make a point that, hey, man, you have no idea what's really going on here. Um, and I do relate to where you're at because I've done these things. And as soon as I said that to him, he changed his tune and went, oh, you know what? I want to be a part of this conversation after all. And what could have been a really ugly situation became a really amazing situation because he sat there, he and his friend sat there with my group of friends and this really wonderful deep conversations that he might not have otherwise been open to or even opened up about because of the way the world perceives him and the kinds of experiences that he's had. So my point is, is that this vibrational shifting can take place, not just on these really esoteric levels. It started there. And all of a sudden, these ripple effects going through these conscious layers up to the corporeal physical reality into my life that is Rex, I start to realize things like that, make those kinds of connections, go, wow, these memories that, that I was so ashamed of, that I've just, just hated myself so much for, for so long. Now, grant you, I don't want to relive them. I am not happy about any of them. But all of a sudden, they now have a purpose. They gave me a divine purpose. They now have a different meaning. They look differently to me. And now I can see where all that was just such a detriment to my life. Now it's become part of the inspiration and strength of my life and my purpose and my experience. And this is a part of it that I can go on for hours, give you an example of how th th these connecting with these deeper depths transcends into our physical life. And, and it starts to transcend in how, our, how we perceive and look at our lives, especially where we start to feel love about everything. Now you want to not just want to do well for yourself, but you want to do well for everybody around you and for the situation. And that to me is what it is to truly be loving. And, and I personally connecting with these kinds of depths, and I don't think it's necessary for everybody. I know people that has, have the most incredible faith in everything, faith in God, faith in even Jesus, what have you, but it's real faith. And I'm not saying to make light of it, but they don't get it the way we get it. They can't discuss things on this level. The thing is that person doesn't need to because they have that faith for whatever the reason my person, I needed this information for me to, to get to the point where I'm at right now, where I have the faith of the person that I'm describing. But not only that, for the people like me who search on these levels, I have the ability to interact with them, at least to offer them food for thought so they can 
help to help them to find answers for themselves. Because again, I'm not here to give anyone answers. I'm just saying, hey, here's food for thought. Now use this, and if it resonates, go explore it, see what it means to you, and then you decide how to apply it to your life and how to apply it to your experience. So I'm just a helper. I'm just a guide. Is what I'm kind of perceiving myself as being. And I'm also looking at this as you are all helpers and guides to me too. This goes both ways, students here. For everybody who's watched this, I just want to say thank you. I mean, I know parts of this get kind of long-winded, and I know I understand. I didn't expect everybody to stay with us to the end because a lot of this gets super out there. Um, but at the same time, if whether you stayed for five minutes for the full thing, especially if, for, for those of you that stayed, I, I just thank you. I, I appreciate this so much because, um, you know, I am underst understand I'm learning too. There's, a lot of these ideas, these are only a few years old to me. And, I, and, I, and every year I do this, I, I expand every time I do one of these presentations, we do this presentation every time, and the next time I do this, I'm going to redo it again, and I'll have new ideas, and most importantly, new ways to explain this, because that's the biggest challenge about all of this, is trying to find the analogies, the metaphors, and, and the ways to start explaining these deeper forms of reality, because I don't really want to lose people, but I know that's going to happen, because like I said, we don't all need this level of information to tap into that source of love and have that faith. Uh, but for those of us that want it, need it, and are looking forward to it, and just enjoy it, um, you know, just just all I can say is just, you know, just be true to yourself, be real. And the biggest thing is you just have to have that, that unabashed honesty if you're really going to open up and see on these levels. Because one of the things that I had to do, especially to get past my past, is, is be completely real about it all. Even the hardest things, and just make myself just dive right up into it, explore it, understand it. So not only could I could see what happened to me, but now I could understand it from the perspective of everyone involved and the experience as a whole. So now I know the best path through how not only to resolve something from my past, let it go, make peace of it, turn it into something that's now a positive from my path in the present moving forward, but also for all of those to hopefully create that shift, not just in our own lives, but in each other's lives and eventually for this whole world so we can all just be free to be ourselves, you know, with that one, one thing without being, having to hurt each other over our differences. To be able to work it out, talk it out, even to just agree to disagree if we have to. I know that there's space in this whole world, there's room in this whole world for everybody to have everything they need. Um, you know, we need to do some serious redistribution of the allocation of resources, but there's a whole other conversation. But the point is this, you know, we have the means right now as a human beings, not only within ourselves, but even in the resources in the world to create a world that is seriously one that we can all thrive in. And that's the goal for all of us to be abundant and thrive in this world together. In order to do this, we're going to have to do it together and we have to co-create together. Start individually, learn how to do it for ourselves, help each other out and grow this into to, to start to basically, you know, uh, just ripple out to the entire world. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for your presentation, Rex. And thanks uh, again, as Rex says, to anybody that was, um, everybody that was watching. I hope that you had the opportunity to learn something new and, um, really dig deep into some of these questions that are hey. some of the most fundamental questions of existence, definitely. 